FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 186 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Wrap Around Man Thing Venable, and I'm joined by special guest John, the official ninja of Harvard, Wilson. Hey, John. I never even graduated, though, so I don't know if I can be the official ninja, but wrapped around <laughs> man thing? Really? Okay, okay. Hey, yeah. They come in all as shapes long as and sizes. With it, and, uh, I'm not judging. <laughs> It may be her and, favorite and, and, part. And if she's not cool with it, I'm not going to tell her. So, you know, we'll just we'll just keep this between us. Yes, between and, us. And, and whoever owns the man thing. Right, yeah. And the three people that listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I pimp you out there. So I, I don't know if, you know, the three people who follow my Twitter. Right. They <laughs> <laughs> say, hey, I listen to some Wolverine podcasting. <laughs> That's right. No, we have, we have more than three. Um not as much as some of the other X shows, but that's okay. But anyway, thank you, John, very much for coming on. John is a, a good friend uh, who kind of, we became friends kind of through podcasting and comics, and it's always cool when that happens. So I started listening to your show, and then you started listening to my show, then we started tweeting at each other about X Men and Wolverine stuff, and yeah. here we are. Here we are. So and, and I don't judge you for not liking the New Mutants. You know, <laughs> I'm sure if I like, and gave it the old college try nowadays, I would probably like them more. I uh, think some is just a childhood bias, but yeah, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, we are here for this flashback episode to talk about the debut of Marvel Comics Presents. Oh, yes, and of course, um, a Wolverine confession. And uh, we, we can get John's take on this in a minute as well, but. I feel like I have to clear the air as a host of the show. This is my first time reading these. I had maybe... What? You're yeah. such a faker! I know. I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. I had maybe two of these issues growing up, uh, like later in the run, like in the 60s or 70s when Rob Liefeld was doing some covers. And um, you know you know what it was? Because I had... And I, I've told this story before. That Cameron and I, Cameron who who also does a lot of flashback episodes, when we were kids, got this like magic boxo comics from uh this this guy at church, and he gave us all these comics and and we tore through them and and they were mostly late seventies, early to mid eighties, and there were a couple of Marvel comics presents in there, and so what happened is we split the box in half, so I got a couple issues, he got a couple issues, and I remember um. It was one of the covers that was a Rob Liefeld cover that was a close-up of, like, a possibly naked Wolverine with, like, arrows coming out of his shoulder and stuff. It was an awesome cover. And I went home and I tore into that comic, and the Wolverine story sucked, and the backup story sucked, and I think I was like, okay, I'm not ever reading this again. And so I never, like, went back and got the back issues. The only ones I ever got after that was, of course, the famous... Weapon X story. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be a Wolverine fan and not have that. But as far as I can go back here to the beginning, this is all brand new territory for me, which is actually exciting because a lot of the stuff on the podcast and the flashbacks 
Like, I haven't read it in a long time, but it's all reread. But this is, like, one of the first things in a while that's, like, a brand new... Like, I've never done this before. So, so that's where I'm coming from. Uh, John, what's your history with, with these issues? Well, because of my vector in approaching comics is, is pretty different. Um, I mean, I never read X-Men during this era, but I do remember seeing, especially the Weapon X covers. Right. When I would flip through the uh, the um, the rotating stand, what do they call those things? The, uh, the, the comic stand the and, and, and the Walden yeah. the Walden books. So there, I mean, there's a, there's a certain percentage of your audience that falls into a certain demographic who knows <laughs> what a Walden books is. Yes. Um, you know what a Walden so, books is? That's the place that when you went to the mall with your parents, you snuck off by yourself for a second to see if you could get a glimpse of the Playboy in the top corner. yep 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 um so yeah i mean some of those covers really stood out in my mind forever like the one where he's stumbling through the snow and such so in my mind marvel comics presents was the wolverine comic i don't think i even registered that he had another solo series in addition to that until later right um which is why it was kind of a surprise when I was getting into these early issues for this podcast that I realized, hey, wait a second. Marvel Comics Presents was not the Wolverine comic in its <laughs> incarnation, its original incarnation. I mean, yes, the first arc it has is Wolverine. Right. But then it starts rotating through a bunch of characters. I think the fact that it landed on Wolverine and stayed there was a later decision. I think, Yeah, I think that was a, a later sales decision. Um so yeah, so Marvel Comics Presents was one in a series of anthology books that Marvel was uh, putting out. I think um, Marvel fanfare was kind of dying down by this time, but it was it's kind of a similar concept. I will say, looking doing some research, it seems to me that that most most of the consensus is that it was always intended to have a lead story of an X Man from the front. <laughs> And, yeah, that's gonna, what I see in the open. In, in all of the rotation, you always have an X character as the headliner. Right. Until, After Wolverine is a, cyclo- is, is a Colossus story. Yes. Yeah, in fact, actually, the last issue of this that we'll talk about tonight, we're going to talk about the first 10 issues. And number 10 will actually kick off the first Colossus. You know, start as a backup and then move to the headline. So, you know, good career movement for Colossus there. Um and yeah, but it's going to kind of stay that way until like the mid-90s where it goes with the flip book concept where it pretty much becomes a Wolverine Ghost Rider sandwich with just kind of random stuff in the middle. Well, because that's that like basically defines the 90s. Yes. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> Throwing a little Punisher for good measure, you, you're, you got Marvel 90s to a T. Yeah, or at least the first half of the 90s. Like 1993... You got Wolverine and Ghost Rider and Punisher just just killing it all over the place. Yeah. Literally, literally. Literally, literally, definitely. (laughs) Did you know that this magazine was not originally going to be called Marvel Comics Presents? I did not. No. What was it going to be called? Um, Early uh, hype boxes for it in the the bullpen bulletins just uh, named it Marvel Universe. Really? So Marvel Universe was going to be the title of the story, or, or at least it was a working title, and then they changed it to Marvel Comics Presents. Um, similarly, the Marvel 2099 line was originally hyped as Marvel World of Tomorrow. Interesting. 
which I'm so glad that 2099 is what they chose because that's so much, I mean, easy, it, that's so much more iconic and, and memorable and unique than World of Tomorrow. Yeah, and World of Tomorrow, that sounds like, you kind of go either way. It kind of sounds like a Disney World thing or it kind of sounds like a Superman-related like DC storyline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, of course, DC has the Legends of Tomorrow thing going on right now. Yes, yeah. Interestingly enough, so so we'll talk a little little timeline for the flashbacks here. We are officially here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the audience, where it's going to be just incredibly difficult to keep up with the Wolverine appearances. Because we have this book kicking off that's going to showcase Wolverine quite a bit. And then we're literally like, you know, an episode away from the Wolverine solo series, which literally kicks off a couple of months after this. And so one thing we're going to find is as John and I go through these issues is that visually, some of the visual interpretations of Wolverine in this storyline that we're going to cover in the first 10 issues, they're going to kind of cross section with what's going on in X-Men and the Wolverine solo series that comes right after this. But the story seems to all kind of take place in one kind of by itself segment. So it's kind of interesting how they decided to do that. But for the sake of like telling the whole story, we're going to bite this off in one big chunk and we'll just kind of ignore some of the continuity to a degree. That. Yeah, or the fact that his costume randomly shows up out of nowhere for an issue and then goes away the next one. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Along with the eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The eye patch. We're going to talk about that when it shows up. Yeah. The, the way I've been reading the comics is I, I follow publication order for the most part. Yeah. I get my release dates from mikesamazingworld.com and I follow, I, I read all the X books basically in the order they came out. So my experience with this storyline was reading in parallel with the Uncanny X Men and then the debut of Wolverine towards the end of it. So it, it was an interesting experience seeing what grew where right. as they went along. Of course, that might not be the exact order that Chris Claremont drew it, I mean, wrote it, nor the order that the artist drew it in, but it was the order that it came out in. Right. And so with that is kind of an asterisk that we're going in this episode, because the way I chose to order this thing, we're going to spoil a couple of visual cues that really maybe debuted somewhere else first so they won't be first here but this will be the first time we'll talk about them on the podcast so it's just kind of the way the the dominoes fell for this particular thing like i said and um due to fan response mostly um john himself and georgie and pat um i think we've decided to go ahead and cover the flashbacks moving forward kind of more of a story basis as opposed to going in publication order like saying you know, this is June of 1988 and doing that. Like, we're going to focus more on what Wolverine was actually doing and telling, like, whole stories. I think that would be more interesting. And, honestly, that's what you guys asked for. So, you know, I'm nothing if not... um, subservient. (laughs) And my own own personal reason for voting for that is I feel like um, it'll give 
the flow of episodes yeah more cohesion like in, in an individual episode you'll have an arc and then maybe you'll end with some popcorn appearances in other places right but at least for that episode you can talk wolverine did this adventure yes or these yeah. two or three small adventures and, and for me that that from a listener's standpoint, I felt like I would be able to follow that more easily. Maybe, yes. maybe you know, it's just me, but that's just why. I was no, thinking. I, I, th- I think you were in the majority, so that's definitely kind of the way we're we're probably going to go with it. And well, so, I'm a white middle class male, of course, I'm in the majority. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we both are. This is such a majority <laughs> a majority podcast. <laughs> we need to get some diversity up in this mug. Well, you you could have brought Mrs. Snicked. Yes, she's actually she's sitting in the bed over there. She's got her headphones in. Okay. She just looked over here. <laughs> like, why well, are you talking about me? Right. <laughs> so anyway. I I, sh- I should also point out that I've caught up on your show because oh, yeah. last time I was on here, I was way behind. Um, I think the preview episode is the only one that I haven't listened to yet, but it's, it's next in the queue. Uh, but you just released that a day or two ago whenever we're recording this. Yes. And we'll peek behind the curtain. And, uh, you bring up a good point while you say that, a, I'm actually pretty close to caught up on most of your shows, which is a pretty good endeavor. Cause you have like a hundred of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. I'm a little bit. The only one I'm not quite caught up, caught up on is uh, rebirth which I'm really excited about, but I just haven't read all the books yet. So I'm waiting. Yeah. I, and wait. I've been popping those out maybe more than I should. I, I think about, am I putting too many episodes out there? But damn it, I want to talk about comics. No, but I've really enjoyed them. And by the way, we'll do, we'll do official plugs at the end, but, yeah, that's but cool. John's kind of current big show right now. is his, he's rejuvenated his, uh, new 52 adventures of Superman, which is a, a great show. And, um, He's been talking about Rebirth a lot, and so I've been listening to that, and of course, we'll talk about some of his other shows at the end. But um, but the other thing that you brought up with that comment that I want to address is that I kind of did that preview story out of order a little bit, because it came out, it did come out before Wolverine number one, but it came out after Marvel Comics Presents number one. And so, like, some of the things that that story kind of previews for, for what it did, which was not much, um... Like the Princess Bar, Wolverine going to Madripoor, the black sleeveless costume, kind of the eye paint. Those are things that, that none of those are like debuted in that story, but I talked about them there. So. Well, it's weird because like this, those little five pages, he starts out in his black suit with the web across the eyes that I'm going to make fun of later in the show. <laughs> um, but by the end of the five pages, he's in his awesome little hat disguise. Yes. Which is kind of the reverse of the continuity that, you know, kind of flows best with the comics. Cause in, in Marvel comics presents, he starts out with his awesome little hat disguise. And then later in the story, he switches to the black. Yeah. So I don't know if he like, just brought that black outfit to Madripoor to have on hand and then disguise himself in his awesome hat. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah. um, but I, I, I'm glad you covered that because I did not even know it existed. Marvel Age is not something that I'm focusing on in my X-Men reading right now because no. it's, it's the hype comic or the hype magazine. Yeah. I didn't even know it had new material in it until you put that episode out. Well, I don't think most of them do. And I actually was going to skip it. And I read a blurb. I don't even remember why I was looking. But that said that the the material in this book was all new. And like, oh, well, I better at least check it out. And then when I saw that. It was actually a preview of the solo series. I was like, "Well, I gotta, I gotta bring this in on the podcast." Plus, 
that Art Adams cover was pretty badass. So yeah, it was a pretty cool cover on yeah. that. But anyway, that all brings us right back around to Marvel Comics Presents. John, if I understood correctly, you only read the Wolverine stories, right? Until issue 10, which I also read the Colossus story. Okay, cool. All right. So I may sprinkle in a couple of bonus thoughts, but we're, I mean, this is the podcast that goes snicked. John did all the required homework. That's the only stuff we're really going to talk about. Anything else will just be icing. So, but we are going to talk about the first story, which is Save the Tiger. And that runs through the first 10 issues. So we will start off with number one. And this chapter is The Good Guy. And it's uh, written by Chris Claremont. Penciled by John Vashima. Inks by Klaus Jansen. Letters by Tom Orjakowski. And colors by Glennis Oliver. And the cover, which is a wraparound cover, is by Walt Simonson. And on this cover, we have, like, a sunset with, like, a purple sky. And we have, like, what I didn't even realize at first was the background. So there's, like, this cool, like, reflection around Wolverine's claws. And then it shoots out to the side. And I thought that was all his claws. But then when you turn the cover around, it's actually the Silver Surfer flying around. But, you know, Wolverine's in the swamp. Uh, He's chomping on a cigar. He's got his claws, like, about to cross in a T. It just looks great. Of course, I'm a huge Simonson fan. The head fins are a little off, but I can't actually bring myself to say anything negative about Simonson. So I love this cover. What do you think of this cover? I I, I really dug it. I mean, it's rad looking. It's it's iconic in that it grabs Wolverine and, you know, the colors are nice and eye-catching. He's definitely posing for the camera. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I like the effect and the claws. It's kind of like, you know, Sometimes on the movies, whenever he uh, rubs his claws against each other, they spark. Yeah. Or in Nightmare on Elm Street, when he rubs his uh, knives on the pipes, they spark. It's kind of like what I'm envisioning is going on here. I like the cigar. He's gnawing on it nice and good. Um, yeah, the only problem I have is those damn head fins, because they go all the way <laughs> to the top floor, through the penthouse, <laughs> and out the roof. He can sky glide right. with those things. They're huge. Yeah, and we're not even a Sam Keith yet. This is just, you know, Simonson's normally kind of more restrained, but these are way big. I do also like that, of course, um, Wolverine's font, title font, is very front and center. It's really bigger than Marvel Comics Presents. Mm-hmm. So, as a Wolverine fan, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so basically, um, all these stories are like an eight-page chunks. So the synopses, synopses, I think is how you say that, right? I'm going to be pretty short, but uh, we'll kind of go through them. So basically, Wolverine visits Madripoor. He also, while he's there, he visits the Princess Bar looking for O'Donnell, who's being taught a lesson by some mob toughs. Logan busts in and takes them all out. O'Donnell and Sapphire offer him drinks on the house after uh, dropping Roche's or Roche. How do you, all right. I was going with Roche the whole time in my okay. head. Okay, all right. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll do that. That'll be the official podcast pronunciation. So they drop Roche's name. We find out that Logan used to frequent this bar pre-Wolverine. Um, he says he came to the bar because it's a place for info in Madripoor, and he's looking for the tiger from uh, the Dave Chappelle show. Oh, wait, I mean Dave Chappell. Um, turns <laughs> out <laughs> Chappell was uh, deceased. And he was a friend of everyone in the bar, so they're suspicious of Wolverine. 
and they all pull guns on him. Yeah, you can just hear all of that. Yes, that you can. Panel. Yeah, definitely. So, first of all, you know, you, you made fun of me or, or gave me a hard time about not like not liking New Mutants. So I did not realize until I was doing research for this issue that Madripoor was not a Wolverine thing to start off with. I had always assumed that the first, the debut of Madripoor was associated with Wolverine, but it actually was from a New Mutant story, and New Mutants like thirty-two or something like that. Yeah, the, um, there's if it's the story I'm thinking of, it's the one where they're in an arena, okay. and um, the sh- what's the guy who um, Shadow King? Oh wow! Yeah, okay. He yeah. has possessed karma, and he's making pe- he's making powered people fight in an arena to the death for the entertainment of the masses. Oh. Um, and it's it's a pretty in- if it's the story I'm thinking of, uh, it's a pretty intense story that um, unfortunately intersects with Secret Wars too. Oh, um, oh no! <laughs> but not in any way that's important to the story itself. It's just kind of like at the end, <laughs> several people go off to to fight the Beyonder or something. I forget exactly what. Right. Um, but it's really cool, and that location and that situation had also been used earlier in the not very well known and kind of quirky, weird, cool Beauty and the Beast miniseries. Oh, nice. Uh, although in that one, they never say that it's Madripoor. It's just that she gets, Dazzler gets involved in this place. Oh, okay. Um, so, it's, it, it, it's interesting because it it's supposed to be like Singapore, and yet they say in the dialogue that it's like next to Singapore. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of like Metropolis is right next to New York City. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> but yes. I'll tell you what I really I, I want to eat the splash page. Oh, the front it's one, yes. Oh my goodness, so cool. Is Wolverine in his classic yellow slash orange and brown costume, and he's got his claws popped and he's crouched on a bamboo roof, and the sky is dark and there's like an orange sunset behind him, and it's man, it's so good, and. Even the dialogue boxes, it's just two little boxes, and it says, Night's my kind of night, and this, my kind of town. I'm Wolverine. And then you just get him in all his glory. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And the next page, the title page, the double page of Madripoor, is also pretty awesome looking. Yeah, it's great, because you get lots of different landscape going on in the same place. You get the, the sort of ramshackle assemblage of buildings and houses and um village looking setup that you know down towards the bottom and you also have i can't tell if that's more houses or if that's jungle it might just be a whole bunch of houses all over the place right but in this in the it, coming out of all these little tiny primitive and i use the word primitive in a technical sense not in an insulting sense right all these, these primitive constructions is this huge future city right yeah yeah, I think later Madripoor will be calmed down to being more Tokyo-ish than like sci-fi-ish. But yes, and this one is very, very almost Blade Runner-y. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool, and they they have a princess bar. Yeah, they do. I want to go to the princess bar. 
You know, I don't remember because I think in later days it kind of gets a little more built up. It looks so tiny in this comic. Like, it looks like just your hole-in-the-wall bar that, like, you can miss if you rode by too fast. And, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it really looks just like a dive. And when you go inside, it's a... You know what it reminds me of on the inside is Casablanca. Yes, I got I got that feel a lot from this whole story. Um, but the name Princess Bar makes me think, like, female company or female entertainment or both. Yeah. Or a gay bar. um, That's definitely, you know, not what's going on inside. You know, Sapphire Sticks is um, come ons aside. Right. But, but yeah, he, uh, he, he knows this place. He says he's been there. Now, now, how do you figure the timing he talks about? Since before (laughs) his Wolverine days? Yeah. So I said before he was Wolverine and and before he was an X-Man. So... It was either like during his spy days or it could have been during his samurai period. Maybe he took some side trips to, to Madripoor while he was training in Japan. Um, that would make sense because yeah. it's just, you know, a short boat ride away. Right. Or a short plane ride away. But then, <laughs> I love Wolverine's awesome hat. and It's like, I'm, dis- I'm going to disguise myself by covering my Wolverine hair. Right. <laughs> That's my disguise. That's my disguise, yeah. So I, I've got this awesome little hat, little and fedora, a jacket, and I'm not going to pop my claws, and so I'm not Wolverine. Right. I'm just a dude. Yeah, a dude with a with a cigarillo. Until the guy knocks his hat off, and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> They'll tell that I'm Superman. Right? <laughs> yeah. right. The glasses. I also love as soon as the fight's over, that panel of him grabbing the hat off the ground and putting it back on his head is very. <laughs> It is very like Bogart or Indiana Jones or I think that's definitely, you get the feel. You know, one thing about, about Claremont, in the X-Books to a degree, but anytime he writes solo Wolverine, he has a very distinct voice. And there's a little bit of like pulpy kind of, maybe noir is too strong of a word, but no, no, no. I think that's exactly the right word. Whenever he's in his own environment doing his own thing, he is definitely taking cues from certain branches of literature. Yeah. And it's it's not quite, but almost a dirty, hairy moment here. He's like, go ahead, <laughs> pull the trigger. Right. But after you do, bub, then you're mine. Yeah. And the dude runs away. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. So, <laughs> oh man. So um yeah. So anything? then everyone's happy, but you can tell from the kind of crowd that's here that this is definitely not a girly joint because everyone's dressed to the nines. Yeah. There's a mixed gender crowd and some high class older ladies there. Definitely the sort of people that I would not expect to be into that scene. So the Princess Bar, however got its name, does not mean that. So a couple of a couple of kind of first we want to mention this it may not be the debut of Madripoor but it is Wolverine's first trip to Madripoor in the comics and it is the first appearance of the Princess Bar and um, yeah that's about it for this issue so you have any any other notes or comments on issue number one um the redhead comes out she doesn't get in oh yeah she gets the name sapphire in this they don't have the sticks until later which adds some menace later but right now there's no menace she just comes out and i I was wondering if she maybe was the princess of the princess bar i was too at the last panel she's packing a pistol 
Right. Yeah, if she pulls a gun just like everybody else. Don't ask where it was. Um, serial stories are interesting. Um, the, the format of the serial is, is one that's, you know, very old in storytelling from, you know, old film and cinema formats to, you know, old ways of getting books published. Charles Dickens did great expectations in serial format. Of course, nowadays in television, serial stories are the best-selling ones, you know, where you right. have an ongoing narrative that is not multiple stories that form a season, but it's actually just one story chopped up into pieces. This is an action-packed uh, chapter, but there's enough story that it moves, it, it provides us the plot, and it moves that plot forward a couple of steps. And so... I'm not going to have completely good things to say about the serial format of this storyline, but this, this introductory chapter was really solid. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So um, let me ask you what you want to do. We may break the rules a little bit here. So first of all, well, we are going to break the rules to some degree because normally when I've done like Marvel fanfare in the past, I grade the whole comic, and we're not going to do that this episode. We're just going to grade the Wolverine story with the claw ratings because, A, John didn't read the other one, so it wouldn't be fair. And B, I mean, who really cares? So we're going to grade the Wolverine content. But let me ask you this, John, because these chapters are so short. I have, I'm prepared to give a grade for every issue. I wrote down one for each chapter. I did too. Now let me ask you this, because mine, with one exception, are all the same. Oh, I, I have some ups and downs. Okay, okay. Then we'll go ahead and go. We'll go ahead and go issue by issue. Then, because I was going to say, if yours are also all the same, we just wait and grade it all at the end as one big story. But um, yeah, we'll go ahead. So then, what you can give? We can do the best of both worlds. We can do both. Yeah, that's right. All right. So I'm going to give our first bonus content. I did not care for any of these backup stories. Uh, we had a man thing story, a master of kung fu story, and a silver surfer story. Uh, Man-Thing, Master of Kung Fu were boring, and Silver Surfer was actually bad. So, which is too bad, but... It's disappointing, because I know that's kind of the reputation that this book eventually gets. Yeah. But I'm I'm disappointed to hear that it kind of starts out that way. Yeah, well, you know, the Silver Surfer... I was actually excited about the Silver Surfer, because I've had a hankering for reading old Silver Surfer. But there's some, like, guy that looks like a little Muppet, and his name's, like, the Fear Worm or something. And he has, like, five or six parts of him just going around and sucking on the fears of Marvel heroes. And it's just not fun. But, anyway. That sounds bizarre. Yeah. And and why would you do that? And that's <laughs> Al Milgram? Okay, well, that's why. Yeah. Yep. Good old Al Milgram. He is, he is my top conundrum of 80s Marvel comics. <laughs> Oh, he can be so awesome sometimes and so terrible sometimes. It just befuddles me. But anyway, uh, so this first chapter of Save the Tiger, when are you going to grade it? Okay, so I thought the good guy was pretty good. It's a small chapter, but it's nicely written, and um, I love Claremont's Logan. So I gave this five out of six pistol-packing princesses. Okay. I also gave it five out of six claws. We should mention, I guess, the art. I really enjoyed the art. Um, pencils, ink, and colors. Everything looked great. Yeah, the art on this is really solid. It's it's, it's a little bit of a sketchy style. John Buscema has different styles in his career. This is a more sketchy style. But this issue, it's really solid. Um, there are some weird things he does later, but I thought it was good here. Yeah. Now, he... 
His early Spider-Man stuff was very like clean Marvel house style, right? Or am I getting that mixed up? John Buscema on Spider-Man. Oh, did he not do that? You know what? No, I'm I'm thinking of something else. John Romita did Spider-Man. Yes. John Buscema did Avengers in the 60s. That's right. I got those guys mixed up for a second. And I like what John Buscema becomes on the Avengers. I do not like where John Buscema starts on the Avengers. Same for Roy Thomas. But that's a whole other podcast. Yes. Which which you will talk about later because you yeah that's pertinent to some of your podcasting. <laughs> so um, all right, well let's move on to number two. All right. Oh, I guess we should also mention uh, these comics came out bi-weekly or twice a month. Yeah, bi-weekly. Yeah. So, so that was a, a May third, nineteen eighty-eight issue, and this is a May seventeenth, nineteen eighty-eight issue. Okay, so this one's called the Bad Guy. Uh, <laughs> Do the credits change? No, I don't think they change the whole story. So we can forego that if you want. Okay. So we have a cover that is just a uh, close-up shot on Wolverine's face. He's really angry at you, and he's holding his three claws in your face. So you don't want to say anything bad. No. Yeah, but it's th- a pretty effective cover. I like this cover actually a lot more than the first one. Uh, it might be a tad generic but at this point in history, we haven't had a lot of Wolverine solo covers, right. so this one worked for me. Yeah, no, it reminds me of the uh, some of the covers for his miniseries. Mm-hmm. And of course, this yeah. is by uh, I want to mention this is by Alex Saviak, Saviak, uh, yes. Spider-Man artist, and um, yeah, it's really weird. You can tell, and you know this happens from time to time. But, you know, we do have another wraparound cover. You can tell he spent a lot more time on the front part of this cover than he did the back. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, the back cover, it's not like, like the first one was a wraparound, like it was all one piece that incorporated right. the different characters. And I kind of like that idea that Marvel Comics presents when they would do it, when they would incorporate the different characters into a single piece. Yes. The, the back of this is really just the master of Kung Fu at the top, man thing in the middle, the captain at the bottom and they're just three different things that happen to occupy the same page. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So this is the bad guy. We open on Roche, the big bad of this story in his, um, kingpin suit. Although <laughs> like 17 sizes slimmer. Right. <laughs> and he has, you know, he's older and he has like the evil mustache that Almost comes out into handlebars, but not quite, and a full sinister beard and a cigarette on a cigarette holder and, you know, gray swoopy hair. Um, He is pissed at his guys for not stopping the mysterious man from last issue, whom we know to be Wolverine, but no one in Madripoor knows this because of his awesome hat. Right. (laughs) Roche has delved into the Z list of random bad guys from past issues and managed to pull out one pretty badass looking dude by the name of Razor Fist. (laughs) Razor Fist does not have fists, but instead has razors. If by razors, I can mean two foot blades. Yeah, right. You don't want to shave with these razors. I mean, no, I, I do not know how he picks his nose. <laughs> I don't know if he pays people to do that, but um, he tells uh, Roche tells his loser thugs they they can stay working for him if they can beat Razor Fist, and Razor Fist proceeds to kill them all. 
Except for one. Uh, one of the thugs decides instead of going up against Razor Fist and losing his life, he's going to go against Roche instead. But Roche picks him up by his throat like Darth Vader, snaps his neck because he doesn't know where the plans are for the Death Star, and drops him in a barracuda-infested stream. <laughs> So while that guy's becoming fish food, Roche dispatches Razor Fist to go find the mysterious man and kill him. So we transition back to the princess bar, where it is the exact same moment we left off from, which adds a whole question of time flow to this storyline that we'll come back to later. (laughs) Wolverine is disguised in his awesome hat, and he manages to say the right things to keep O'Donnell and friends from killing him. And life goes on in the princess bar. And Wolverine finds sidling up next to him at the bar the sexiest redhead in the world next to Madeline Pryor. Wolverine (laughs) definitely feels the sex appeal as she appeals to his sex, but his eye is caught by a familiar figure outside. By familiar, I mean she's completely covered head to toe in clothing and is wearing a face hiding hat and glasses. There's right. nothing distinguishing about this person, but Wolverine recognizes her. <laughs> he runs out, catches the figure, knocks off her clothing, not her clothing, but like Whoa, her hey. hat and glasses. Sorry, just her hat and glasses, <laughs> and finds her to be Jesson Juan. Dun dun dun. Yep. So, um, just on Juan from the Uncanny X-Men 229 and the Reavers. Yes. Honesty question, though. Before you read the next issue, did, did you remember that's who that was? Only because I listened to podcasts that had reinforced the story in my mind. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, when I saw her there, I was like, oh, I never expected to see her again. <laughs> it was a surprise. Yes, it was a surprise to see who she was. But I knew who she was when he said the name. Okay, cool. I I was like, uh, do I know? Am I supposed to know this? And then when we got to issue three, I was like, oh yeah. So, yeah, I, I again, it's not quite the same oomph, but I like the opening splash page. Uh, the reveal of Roche as the skinny kingpin is it's pretty nice. He's he looks like a good Madripoor bad guy, so. I like the parallelism with the previous splash page because that was story was called the good guy and it had Wolverine. This is the bad guy yeah. and it has Roche. Um, it almost sounds like I a like grindhouse, like, like 70s mo- like bad action movie like feel to it. Like almost like yeah. there'd be action and they'd freeze on the frame and like fought would come up. The good guy and then there'd be some more action and then freeze. The bad guy. I, I don't know. It kind of has that... <laughs> Like a grindhouse type film or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Claremont is good at turning generic villains into characters. Like, this guy has nothing unique about him, but under Claremont's scripting, he's really cool. Um, Sabretooth, I think, is a great example of here. He takes somebody who's nothing, really, and turns him into an interesting character. I was curious when I was reading this chapter if he was also going to do the same thing with Razor Fist, because Razor Fist is an action figure. And I was hoping that we would get some cool writing from Claremont to give him some depth. And we get, like, the tiniest bit of that, um, but not really much to speak of. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it may be 1988, but how early '90s is Razor Fist? <laughs> like, yeah, just that name and, sounds and you know like. You know who created a... him, but you can't guess. Oh, um... Jim Shooter. No way, really. Yeah, he's a Jim Shooter character. <laughs> That's funny. Has he appeared before now? 
Yeah, yeah, oh. he's had a few appearances, and like I said, random comics yeah. here and there. I have to go. I didn't write down the list, but um, but yeah, he's he's appeared other places, okay. and he is just an action figure. Yeah, well, he glistens. He does glisten. He's very shiny. It, he, he, you know what he's wearing? He's wearing Cosmic Boy's outfit from the 70s <laughs> and Supergirl's boots from the TV show, uh-huh. all painted silver. Yeah. And he's taken Havoc's hat and mm. turned it into a mask. Yeah. <laughs> and then swords on his hands. Because yeah. why the hell not? Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm not... Why don't you have swords on your hands? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. I kind of wish I did. Um. <laughs> yeah so uh yeah that's that's quite a costume um <laughs> I, I i'm not sure if if the fight is entirely fair because even if you gave me two swords for hands i could probably do some pretty serious damage to some people throwing at me and i'm just a guy <laughs> you're not just a guy you're john wilson <laughs> yeah, but my powers are not <laughs> in the physical department. <laughs> but give me swords for hands, I might do okay. Yeah. <laughs> so as far as the story, we do find out that the elusive tiger that Wolverine is looking for is not an object or an animal, but an upstart criminal. Which makes me automatically wonder how he's supposed to save this upstart criminal. Like, what is his mission? If if the story is save the tiger, actually, we don't even we haven't been given in script yet that he's supposed to save her. He's supposed or save the person. Oops, spoiler. Uh, um, <laughs> oops. Just that he's looking for the tiger because of Dave Chapel. Right. Who, by the way, if you try to look up Dave Chapel on line to find out if he's appeared anywhere else you will get all of the dave Chappelle stuff <laughs> nice <laughs> okay well um real quick before we or any other comments on this this part i, of this I, I have just a few if i can get them a little, a little quickly um yeah. when we switch back to wolverine it is the exact same moment as when we left which means the bad guys he has literally just now done away with oh yeah i didn't even think about this yeah. so how did they get back to roche in the countryside the, the via yeah and you know he disciplines them and yeah so the the the, the, the timing is a little bit weird and it's um, very much daylight at the via yeah i mean it's all yellow skies and green trees so maybe and- Maybe no, because I'm pretty sure that the next that Razor Fist attacks him during this night. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I'll, we'll confirm that in a minute. But um, also, someone calls him Chum in this, and it's 1988. Who still says Chum? That guy. That guy. <laughs> She'll be glad to get it. But I get the feeling, Chum. You're not telling everything. Chum. <laughs> oh. And um, Sapphire sidles up next to him, and he says that she's. It's the oldest offer in the book. Yeah. Which I thought was just great phrasing. <laughs> it was. It reminds me of that uh, the when people talk about the oldest profession. Right. So, yeah. thought that was cool. Um, and um, it's a very Claremont move to take the most random nobody character and make her significant. So the bank owner's daughter, who got razzle-dazzled by the mind manipulator guy and the Reavers... And then sent back to look at her 
family's dead bodies by Roma, oh my gosh, she's going to be a person. Right. So I, bizarre. Yeah. But cool. But bizarre. You wonder if, and this is one of those things you, you kind of, you know, which I could just call Claremont up and ask him, like, did he write the Reaver story with the intention of making that character somebody? Or was he looking for a character like, oh, hey, I have this, I have a hanging thread for this Reaver chick. I can just use that. It's the kind of thing where I, I tend to lean towards the latter yeah. because these did come out so close together. Right. I mean, this is the summer where, where uh, Uncanny X-Men went bi-weekly for a while. So 229 was like two months ago. Right. It was, it was earlier this year. And Chris Claremont has on his plate the Uncanny X-Men, Excalibur, Marvel Comics Presents, <laughs> and the Wolverine debut. Right. So he's juggling all these at the same time, and I've got to think he's setting up some pins in some places so he can knock them down in others. That's just me thinking about it, though, because I'm like you. I love the idea of how did stories come about, like what ideas came before what other ideas, and how did it fall into place in in the creator's head. I would love to have that conversation with, like, every person I read. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Me too. But but yeah, that's about all I had on, on this issue. Yeah. I won't point out on page, uh, I guess it's eight, the last page of the Wolverine story, that top panel of him walking around on the rooftops in the shadows. It's pretty pretty mm-hmm. sweet panel. Yeah, by nature. Yeah. Unlike my namesake, Wolverine, because yeah. Wolverines are just rodents. <laughs> I'm a hunter. City or country makes no difference. But yeah, it's a really, really cool uh, panel. Yep. All right, so bonus material for issue number two. By this point, I had already quit reading the um, Man-Thing and Kung Fu story. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, in the Captain story, he fights a fake Iceman who's named Cold War. But this is one of those issues where Al Milgram has really good art. So, as opposed to the Secret Wars 2 issues where it was all terrible. Um, Anyway, back to Wolverine. Does that red rodent guy in the Captain story, doesn't he like tie those backups together? Yes, he's like. I a, noticed that they're not listed as one part one or whatever, but I was like, I kept seeing this red thing's face. Yeah, no, he's like a he's like a muppet that eats your fear. Okay. And so, really, what it does is is, is it lets Milgram have this guy that goes around and by eating all the fears, turns out every hero in the Marvel universe, their primal fear is tied into their origin story. So Milgram gets to redraw everybody's origin. <laughs> Well, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. Why <laughs> I not? Mind reading a, I mean, wasn't original sin the same kind of thing? Taking all these big evil things <laughs> out of people's origin stories. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so he fights. He fights the Cold War. But so, all right, I'm gonna give the same grade to the Wolverine story. Uh, five out of six claws again for me. Did you go up or down on this one? I dipped a little on this one because okay. I mean, Razor Fist has sword hands. And Wolverine really doesn't do much in this issue. Still, the bad guy wasn't too bad, and so I'm going to give this chapter four out of six irresistible sexual offers. (laughs) The oldest offers in the book. Yep. (laughs) All right, so that's going to move us on to issue number three. This chapter is going to be The Gals, which I have an interesting story to tell about that. So... One day when I was little, I went to Walmart with my granddad. He called someone a gal and got accused of being a racist. So, anyway, 
Great story, huh. right? <laughs> but this Called is, someone a gal and was accused of being a racist. Yeah. And to this day, I don't know what she meant. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> huh. Well, I know that you really don't want to call people boy. Right. But I would think that was demeaning regardless of ethnicity. Right. Um, Unless they're actually like under the age of 10. And then it's, you know. Yeah. But, but even, yeah, still. Gal, yeah. Okay. Well, hmm. Yeah. It offended somebody in the mid-80s. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they didn't buy this comic book. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, same creative team. This wraparound cover is by John Romita Jr. And it's a pretty cool cover. Um, it's got Wolverine uh, dancing on the front. And in the back is a green face. Um, Wolverine looks pretty cool, but uh, he has ter- those terrible, really pointy 80s cowboy boots that no one should have ever had. And um, yeah, he looks like he's ready to ready to boogie. But he's got his claws popped. So it's not that kind of boogie. I think rather than dancing, it really looks like he's trying to drop the biggest deuce of his life. <laughs> I mean, honestly. I'm the best there is at what I do. Yeah, and I don't know why just I do to do. eat that stuff, but um, I like the idea. I think of this, this says something deviant about you because. According to the spacing of the issue, if he's about to drop a deuce and he's about to poop in that girl's mouth. So I don't want to look at your browser history. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of this cover a lot more than the cover itself. Um, Right. The the background face is really good. I don't like the way John Romita's detail works on Wolverine. Maybe it's why it checks inking, but yeah, it's it's not my favorite look. It's definitely, we're used to seeing the body hair. This is the most finger hair he's ever had. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So, basically, in this chapter, Wolverine runs into Jason Juan, the banker's daughter from the Reaver story, but as planned, she doesn't remember him. Maybe. That, that gets kind of sketchy as the story goes on. But as of right now, it appears that she still forgets. Logan tries to talk, but she ninjas his ass. Logan gets run over by a car as Jason steals a motorcycle. For good measure, she runs him over again on her way out. Sapphire finds Logan and invites him back to her place. When he refuses, she gives him a red shadow kiss that discombobulates him. Razor Fist takes advantage of his wooziness and takes him out. We find out they both work for Roche. Yes. So back at the princess bar, um, O'Donnell was being hustled by Roche's men, but his co-worker, patron, girlfriend, whatever, Sapphire, is actually a plant from Roche. Yeah, this is where I was like, I came into this issue with two things. One, are they going to tell us about Jason? And they do. Because, you know, whoever doesn't, didn't read issue 229 is not going to know who this person is. Right. And two, I was worrying about timelines and Razor Fist shows up literally 10 minutes after <laughs> Wolverine punched all those other guys. I can so only the, go to figure then that Roche's Via must be next door to the Princess Bar. Yeah, it would have to be. It has to be like, like 
like they share a building. Right. And on one side is is dirty dive alley streets. <laughs> on the other side is is swank villa countryside villa. Um, yeah. So it's. <laughs> It's a, it, it, and this is actually one of the things that comes along with serial storytelling is you risk jumbling up your passage of time. Right. And it, it happens really easily. Um, I read the entire run of Captain Britain that was published in the UK. Oh, wow. It started out as a weekly comic, and then it was done by Chris Claremont and then by other people. And that was also a problem was just the passage of time gets kind of muddy as you go along. So this is one particular instance where he didn't quite have all of his beans in a row for his storytelling on this, but it's, it's okay. Especially if you're reading these every two weeks, you know, you don't really think about that. It's only whenever you're reading them in like, you know, close succession that it starts to feel weird. Um, and I was a little bit wondering about Buscema's art in this, especially. It's not as good. This one I'm sorry, I missed, uh, especially what? With his Wolverine face. Yes, yeah. His face is in general. like starting to give Wolverine like Asian features. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the two-page recap of the reverse story, and that's really sloppy looking. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very sketchy, and the, the inking doesn't do it any favors. No, not at all. And then I can't tell when when Wolverine's sitting in the alley and he's talking about how he can't help but laugh, but his face doesn't, I don't know what, I think he's dropping another deuce in the alley. I don't know what that face is. It looks like he's yawning. Yeah. The panel right before that is really, really cool, but that guy is not French-Canadian ethnicity. No, no. He's a Ronin samurai. Yeah. That's funny. Which is fine. It's just, I mean, it's a really great, it's just not where I expect Wolverine to look. Right. I actually kind of halfway dig the idea of like when he's in more Japanese or Asian settings to kind of let his facial features lean a little that direction to bring out that side of his character. Since it's artistic, since it's drawn comics, you can kind of play with the visuals a little bit like that. Um, I don't mind it. I just didn't expect it. Anyways, um, we get to page six, and I'm reading this, and Sapphire has literally thrown herself at Wolverine three times now, and then turns out she ain't kidding this time. No, now we find out she has powers. Yes. She's uh, some kind of, of energy drainer. So, were there orders? There weren't any orders from Roche to, like, capture Wolverine alive, were there? No, Razorfist is supposed to kill him. Yeah. So, like, intentionally, here's a guy whose hands are all blade, and he somehow hits him with, like, the hilt of his arm. <laughs> yeah, blades don't say the cow. No, not at all. Blades say... Yeah. <laughs> How do you spell that? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe schloop. Or something, right. you know, yeah. they're, they're supposed to slice through him, but she's like, oh my gosh, he's still conscious and still fighting, but she says she's going to turn him over to Roche. I love to keep it myself, but a contract's a contract. Yeah, so we find out the Sapphire is Roche's inside man, or inside woman. Um, right. Also, I think it's interesting that between the panel where he's in the doorway and the panel where he knocks out Wolverine... Uh, Razor Fist loses his uh, tight little shirt. I'm scrolling through here. Um, yeah. 
Look at that. <laughs> it just goes away. <laughs> it just goes away. Maybe he sliced it off. Maybe he thought, okay, I've seen enough Star Trek. If you're going to be in a fight, you've got to have a torn or missing shirt. Right. You just get this thing off, slice it off, and then off the cow Wolverine. Um, and, and Wolverine's going to let him do it because he's staggering so much from Sapphire's mega kiss, mega death kissing. Yeah. But I actually, despite the fact that I emphasize the art weirdness, I actually really liked this story. Um, I I liked the flashback sequence, even if the art was kind of rough. I liked the fights in the alleys, both with Jason and the people. Wolverine kind of got his butt handed to him in this, but in some cool ways. Right. Yep. I agree. So what do you want to grade number three? Um. So this is the gals and... Jason and Sapphire are the gals in this story. So um, Jason is no waif and Sapphire knows how to take a man down. Wolverine had some good scenes. So I'm going to give this issue five out of six jumbled timelines. Okay. We are the same. Five out of six for me too. I almost dipped to a four over the art, but I, I held back. Okay. So that moves us on to issue four, the ordeal. Now, um, Talking about Razor Fist as an action figure, this cover is an action figure fight. Um, you have Wolverine fighting Razor Fist. Razor Fist's back is to the camera. It's an Al Milgram cover with Pete Craig Russell inks. And um, you can tell that Razor Fist works out. He's got a nice bubble butt going on there oh, yeah. in a very <laughs> non-male anatomy kind of way. Um, and they're grappling with their blades. And and, and yeah, one-on-one -on -one grapples are probably my least favorite cover concept. Um, there's little to recommend this one other than Razor Fist's nice ass. Yeah, that's about all it has going for. I kind of don't like this cover at all. I mean, other than Razor Fist's ass. But um, I don't know. It's really like blocky and I don't know. Uh, I just, anyway, it's one of those things again. And, and Milgram, by the way, drew some amazing spectacular spider-man covers in his day so he's capable it just doesn't deliver here yeah yeah okay so the ordeal we open on wolverine with his wrists manacled to chains that dangle from the ceiling so he's in classic x formation that is used for all sorts of torture scenes throughout literature sapphire stick walks in wearing a white version of the goblin queen outfit <laughs> Off panel, Mr. Sinister is watching through a monitor and he gets an idea. Yeah. Um, and a boner. Not really, but could be. <laughs> she uh, she walks up, kisses, and cock teases Wolverine a little bit, but in so doing, she drains off some of his physical energy. As we've seen, this is her shtick. She is some sort of energy vampire, kind of like Rogue, but without the power and memory stealing. Right. Enter Roche, Razor Fist, and a nondescript man in brown whom we come to know only as the Inquisitor. Back at the Princess Bar at dawn, Jassan talks to O'Donnell. Jassan is debating whether to run a rescue for this mysterious savior or person. Um, she couldn't save Dave Chapel, so how can she abandon this mysterious stranger? But when the day ends 14 hours later, Wolverine remains unrescued and in very bad post-torture shape. Roche says some sinister things about breaking him and they all leave to, I don't know, go play Halo or something, which <laughs> allows Wolverine to pop his claws and slash his way out of his chains. Because it was better to keep his Wolverine identity, even if he had to undergo torture, 
Then right. it was to bust his way out of this earlier. <laughs> he is extremely weak because of all the torture. As I said, he has been tortured for 14 hours, but he was able to slice his way out the entire time, which he does right now after the 14 hours of torture. <laughs> He's extremely weak. He stumbles out of the dungeon only to be seen outside by Razor Fist, who I guess, um, I guess it wasn't his turn to play Halo as the other guy's playing. So they fight. Oh, you can't with those hands. Come on. You know, you're right. He cannot grip. He probably went over there as like, oh, come on, guys. Halo again. <laughs> you know, I can't play. And, and they just wanted him to, like, cook some shish kebabs for them again. And he hates doing that. And it's like, he's just the shish kebab guy. <laughs> so, so they fight. And Wolverine soundly loses and falls into a river that leads to a waterfall. Razor Fist salutes his valor and heroic death and accidentally slices off an eyebrow to be continued. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. So another great opening page. Um Apparently, you know, sticking to form, Razor Fist also cut off Wolverine's shirt. Um, yes. So he's just a shirt-cutting guy. I love this splash. This is a nice opening splash. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. And this is the first time that we have heard Wolverine say anything about saving the tiger, even though that's been the title in each issue. He's been looking for the tiger, and now we know that Chapel told him to save the tiger. Yep. And of course, you can't ever go wrong with classic underboob. So, <laughs> although I mean, if she lifts her arms, they're gonna fall out. Yes. I mean, it's, it's the least practical <laughs> garment possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I do also like kind of tying this into uh, the uncanny story that he considers like calling out for Psylocke's help. So the S- X-Men can rescue him, but he doesn't want to blow their cover. So he, he endures the 14 hours instead. Which I really like that he, that Claremont did that little nod. Because this is a Wolverine solo story. But acknowledging that he is with the X-Men is nice. Yeah. When you when you read the Australia stuff, you get the feeling of a lot of time going by between pages, between panels. So there's so much room for this story to take place and for the opening Wolverine arc to take place. But, you know, I like the way Claremont handles his different books and makes them connect. Yeah, I do too. Um, I really, uh, even though he didn't wait a long time, it's a really nice snicked when he finally does pop his claws. And we get some interesting kind of explanation about it. Of course, we have the whole uh, will be retconned away bionic housings. But more than that, though, he says that it doesn't require any physical action to pop his claws. It is all mental, which I thought was interesting and kind of weird. I don't know if I... I can't decide if I like that or not. I know he, I know he doesn't have to like make a fist or anything. It's nothing like that. But So I guess it is mental. But I don't know. I just never heard it really said that way. Yeah, it is. It is odd. It is interesting. Now, it's coming from the man himself. So we have to take it, you know, with some sort of scriptural level of right. um, of fact here. So if they're in housings, and this is another thing. It's like when he's not wearing his costume and we zoom in on his hands, he still has those little semicircular notches in his hand that the blades are coming out of. Which, when I was younger, 
and I visualized this, I envisioned the blades as coming directly out of his skin. Right. And when he had his costume on, the gloves had those little, you know, metal semicircles over the back of his hand that the gloves, the blades would come through. But those are actually poking out of his hand, which I guess those are the bionic housings. Sometimes. Yeah. And Uh, since they're not, since they're not bones, they're not tied to muscles. So it would have to have some other just direct nervous connection to his, it makes sense. It's just the kind of sense that's going to get completely done away with later. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. But I like that we get, I like that Claremont gives little bitty bits of script that tell us stuff about how this stuff works. Some of it's not necessary, like, you know, Nightcrawler being able to go against latitude, but not against longitude very easily. <laughs> um, oh, but some of it's really cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I like how Wolverine asks the tough practical questions about Razor Fist, like, how does he change clothes or eat? And uh, the unasked question, how does he wipe his ass? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really, really don't know. Or does he not? Because that's gross. <laughs> Ew. He just sits in a puddle. <laughs> okay, can I mention something that you might have to edit out? Uh, possibly. Okay. I mean, yeah, you can mention it. You, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you saw, but I shared this on Facebook a couple of days ago. There is this video that is made from it was it was made from a you know the oatmeal that webcomic site. Yes. This video is taking the art of one of those comics and turning it into a, a music video, and the, there's this woman singing the the lines, and everything, and the chorus is he is the motherfucking pterodactyl, and he will tear you a new asshole. <laughs> And so whenever you mention how does he wipe his ass, in my head I'm thinking <laughs> he reaches down and like gouges himself <laughs> through and like disembowels isn't all all his inner just like fall into the toilet, which you know is all gross and everything. But yeah, that's, that's what right. you made me think of, and it's all your fault. <laughs> oh man. Nice. Nice. Oh, all right, what else you got on this chapter? Um, you know, whenever Jason was talking to O'Donnell in the bar, I was reading and I was like, you know, th- this has a nice feeling of pieces falling together in the plot. Like we have all these mysterious things happening and stuff popping up and, you know, Wolverine's kind of being pushed around by different forces. But with their conversation, just sitting there talking about motivations, I'm like, oh, OK, I kind of get the feeling of why stuff is happening and what direction things are going. Yeah, it was nice. And I did like the analogy in the X-Men. Um, and on page seven, he says, I've never met Razor Fist. I've heard of him, though. Had his hands surgically replaced with super keen swords. <laughs> and I'm like, super keen, not razor keen, not even peachy keen. <laughs> like, super keen. Who says super keen? I don't know. It doesn't sound um, like Wolverine. But yeah, this was, I really liked this chapter. I didn't too. The art was top notch. Uh-huh. And the story was, was great. Yeah, I agree. Everything's just being put through the ringer in this chapter. Um, and, and I don't know, for some reason that really appeals to me. It's what appealed to me about his, his time in the alley last issue is where he's just getting the tar beat out of him. <laughs> and, uh, well, he, he gets weakened by Sapphire in that one, but then he gets taken down by Razor Fist, and Jason beats him up here. 
Um, he's been tortured for 14 hours. <laughs> the Inquisitor's had his way with them. Uh, we get plot coming together with Jason. There's just so much stuff going on here. And it ends with his death. The end. Wolverine's death. The end. Yep. Uh, he did not take the advice of TLC and he, he chased a waterfall. <laughs> so for me, the ordeal was definitely not an ordeal to read. I gave it six out of six sliced off shirts. All right, cool. I stayed at five, but it was a very strong five. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Cool. Well, let's move. Speaking of five, it's time for issue number five. Hey. And this is uh, The Rescue. And this cover is finally we get a cover by our creative team for the story by Vesima and Jansen. And, um,. It's a pretty cool cover, but not as cool as the opening splash that it mirrors. Really? I mean, really, really. It's like you have the two, the, the same idea being executed two very different ways, and the cover is very orange. Yes, it is. Very orange. The Inquisitor's wearing orange. Wolverine's wearing orange. There's orange <laughs> in the sky. His, his yoke is orange. It's just... Weird. And he's inexplicably in costume in this issue. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Well, the first part is just a fever dream. So that, oh, that kind of makes right. sense. But, um, well, so speaking of that, uh, so Wolverine hallucinates a recap as he floats back to the city from the waterfall. He sees Mar- Mariko and Akiko in the full moon, but he's too weak and passes out and starts to drown. Jess, who had uh, tailed him from Roche's place, jumps in to save him. She keeps him on the boat, uh, like the Lonely Island. Um, He has a fever dream and attacks her with his claws, but is weak and faints again. When Wolverine's healing factor finally gets him up and at him, he thanks Jess. But she gives him a big old hug for saving her first, as she recognized him as Wolverine. Which, alright, before we even talk about the story... I want to talk about her first story. Hold on. I never clued into the fact that that first part was a dream. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Where does it... How, how did you know? Um, like, what did I miss? I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be, but none of it makes sense. And it wouldn't bring... Because Razor Fist was like, all right, well, I'm going to go so last at you. He falls in the waterfall and Razor Fist is like, well, guess I'll go tell the boss he's dead and got away. And the only way for this to be real would mean that someone had to go fish him back out of the waterfall. Do okay, all this stuff. I, I see. Page five at the bottom, it says, I don't know if this is real or another hallucination like the desert. Yes. Okay. Wow. I did not catch that at all that makes so much more sense because that's a really weird sequence that have actually happened in the story <laughs> yeah I'm like where did they get his costume i mean he had it in like the opening scene right. but then he went in disguise his awesome hat disguise and where did they get his costume yeah and so he ends up and back... also does he always envision women wearing dong earrings right. on page two look at sapphire's earrings at the bottom there those are dong earrings <laughs> They are. Okay. Yeah, some some big old gonads hanging off of there. Um, <laughs> all right. But but some house cleaning on Jason. 
So I was under the impression, and we talked about this when we did the episode with Cameron, from the Reaver story that, so we got from the flashback last time, uh, in the previous chapter, remember the whole deal with her was the X-Men were going to send her through the Siege Perilous as well, but she was like, whoa, why, what did I do wrong? I'm the innocent victim here, you're going to victimize me again? And they're like, oh no, I guess not, we'll send you home. And Roma said, I will send you back to the moment that you were kidnapped so that the X-Men's identity will be protected. So this whole time, I assumed that when Roma sent her back, she like magically took away her memory of the X-Men. But here, she obviously remembers Wolverine and the Reaver story. So I was a little confused by that. I'm getting the issue out right now because that whole ending of that Reaver's story is a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, and like after Jason is 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 meant is mind whammied early in the issue, she they don't talk about her again until the end of the story. Whenever Roma's you know dealing with people, so right. she kind of comes out of nowhere. <laughs> um, okay. So she says, the powers of my time and space are mine to command. I shall cast her home to the place and moment from which she was abducted. From her lips, your legend will begin to grow. Oh, so I guess she does. Okay. So maybe she doesn't know they're the X-Men, but she knows what happened. Right. Something okay. happened and she, yeah, I don't know. Cause your legend will begin to grow. She'd have to talk about somebody. Yeah, you're right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So I just had it wrong. All right, fair enough. I think the thing that she recognizes is the blade sticking out of his hands. Yes, definitely. When that happens, then she's like, oh, wait a second. I know who this dude is. (laughs) And maybe it's not even that she knew that he was alive from the Reavers thing, but she knows what a Wolverine is from life. And so somehow he's alive in front of her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe that maybe that's the way it's supposed to play. Definitely whenever she says thanks for saving my life Wolverine at the end, that's a huge surprise to him. Yes, it is, cuz he has an exclamation point, a question mark followed by another exclamation point. And her saying of his name is all jazzercised up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a classic Orzakowski right there. Um I did like the casual references to Akiko and Mariko. Um, Akiko yeah. is, is a part of Wolverine's story that I feel like just should be a lot more important than it is. Cause like it gets casually referenced every now and then, Right. but he has, he has, he has a daughter, he has yeah. a foster daughter out there. Yeah. And, um, and we but, all know, but, you know listeners of the show know how I feel about Mariko. So I, I, she's your, she's your favorite ship for him, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, the, the picture of them in the moon looks really cool too. Because it almost yes. looks like craters, but just making faces. It's just, it's really, the sketchiness of it works really well. And in fact, I didn't notice their faces in it until I was flipping through pages while you were recapping. I didn't notice it the first time. Oh, really? So okay. it's nice and subtle. Yeah. yeah. I like that he expects to die. Like, his his course in life and, and the way things have happened, he is totally expecting <laughs> to drown and die here in the next few minutes. Right. Like, this is it, bubs. But then Jason shows up 
and rescues him and now they're together which is cool because this story is called save the tiger and it's the end of chapter five before wolverine and jason can come together and now we can start getting ready for this whole tiger idea right that's you know a minor spoiler for stuff we're going to talk about in 10 minutes right (laughs) yeah I do think, though, that at some point in the course of this, especially with all the narrating that they do have, they should have reiterated his anonymity. The fact that no one knows who he is, because we know the storyline and we know the background. We are prepared for her to be surprised at who this guy is. But someone who picked this up randomly might not realize exactly what the context is for Wolverine's uh, identity being disguised. Oh, true. Yeah. That's, um, that's not very Claremont to leave that hanging either. He normally wraps all that up pretty nicely. Well, I feel bad because I gave this thing a lower rating than now I think it deserves because of all the weirdness from the first half of the story. Like <laughs> The first four and a half pages... <laughs> are all in his head. Right. And this is only an eight page story. So we get, you know, <laughs> three and a half pages of actual plot, but I was really bizarre out by the whole thing. So, um, I gave it three out of six costumes from nowhere. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, I stuck with my five out of six claws. So yeah, I, I think it deserves definitely a high because now all that weird storytelling becomes a really cool fever dream right? <laughs> <laughs> with some really neat imagery in it. And, um, yeah, the whole, that saves the chapter really, because this is my low point chapter. I think this is going to go back up to four or five, okay. um, badly concealed secret identities. Sounds good. So for bonus material for this issue, I still didn't read Master of Kung Fu or Man Thing. Uh, I tried to read a Daredevil story because I'm reading Daredevil concurrent to this, but it's a terrible story about a kid who fakes um, a mental illness because no one's paying attention to him. And so he pretends he's getting beat up by an imaginary friend. But it turns out not only is the bully not real, He's not imagining the friend for real either. He's just lying about all of it. And, wow. And there's it's another eight-page story like all these are, and there's about 100 words per page. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it. It's it's definitely pretty dense with the narration. You know, I'm disappointed in Man-Thing because this is a Steve Gerber Man-Thing story. Yeah, and I always hear good things Steve about Gerber it. Steve Gerber created the Man-Thing. He should know Man-Thing. And it may just not be my bag. And also part of it is the art is not, and I may it's also, I may also got burned because, unlike unlike John here who bailed on evolutionary war, I read all the tie-ins <laughs> and believe it or not, there's a really terrible tie-in in Web of Spider-Man that pulls from this Man Thing story and uses that poison villain and it's awful. And so when I saw her show up, I was like, nope, I'm <laughs> not reading any more of her. And so. You know, like I said, I didn't read it, so maybe it's okay, but it just, it, it, it had a rough start, and I just couldn't get into it, so I gave up. I, I'm not forswearing the Evolutionary War. 
Um, if I am doing a particular character read through that swings through 1988, I'm sure I will read their annual from that year. Right. It's not worth um, it. You didn't miss anything. I don't think I'm going to do like a reading of the storyline though. Right. No, there's no I may to... one day sit down and read all the high evolutionary backups. That's the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> See, I kind of dug them. <laughs> no. You know what I didn't like? I read. Yeah. And I think I said this in the episode already. So if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. I didn't like how they shoehorned, like, retconned all these characters' origins to tie back to the High Evolutionary. Well, I thought that Jessica Drew already did. Oh, well, like, maybe from her so. Original storylines, and um. Well, originally she was the daughter of the Viper, and then they went, and then they changed that because they didn't want her to be connected to the Viper anymore, and they did the whole Wondagore thing. And Wondagore is high evolutionary territory. Was it always, or was it Scarlet Witch in that first, and then he came along and they tied him to it? Oh, you know, it was it was mentioned in those early Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Avengers stories before it was mentioned anywhere else. Right. You know, and yeah, I don't know, but to me, I guess the way I approach Spider Woman's origin, like having the origin story from Bendis and the different origin stories that kind of get jumbled in my head from the seventies. Cause they give her two different origins. Like you said, it's almost like Genesis one and two. They give two different storylines that don't really jive back to back. Right. And, and they get jumbled in my head on what actually happened with her <laughs> origin. So I just, whenever I saw that, uh, and that she, that he was working in his human pre metal lunchbox head guys. Um, <laughs> he was working with Drew's, parents right I was like, oh okay yeah cool yeah that part's not terrible but anyway we that, that episode is coming gone let's uh let's move on i guess we should focus on on these 10 storylines okay so am i up for number six yep for number six okay now it is worth pointing out that this issue came out parallel to wolverine number one okay um, yeah, so this, and, is, this is one of those issues where we're going to spoil something that debuts somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I forget where the 239 of X-Men came out. Uh, let me look. Because as I was reading these things, Uncanny X-Men 239 is where Wolverine first calls himself Patch. It's during that, uh, it might not be 239, but it's one of the Genosha issues. It's whenever he's with Rogue, and Rogue is actually Captain Marvel, and she's going by Ace, and he's going by Patch. He's not wearing a patch. He just says to somebody, call me Patch. But that huh. issue predates this issue by like five minutes. Okay. Um, and then this one, he's actually wearing a patch, but doesn't call himself Patch. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then Wolverine one came out at the same time, which um, he's not wearing a patch in that one, but he will later. Yes. Anyways. So, so okay. then th is this the first eye patch then? He's actually wearing the eye patch for the first time in this issue. And for no reason that we know of. No, which is why I'm going to poke fun at it. Whenever I get to my recap here in a second. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> But um, to look at the cover, um, okay, there are two things going with the cover. One, 
Wolverine and Dasan are on a boat and people have been stabbed. They look like they're getting ready to fight. That's the main image. But this image has been painted like fresco style on a stone wall. And the man thing's arms are reaching around from the back cover gatefold to the front and are grasping that wall and about to break it. Yes. And it's a really cool cover composition. It's great. And man thing looks amazing. Uh, this cover is again uh, also by Basima and Jansen. And the man thing just looks fantastic. It really, really does. So much detail, like with the dirt and the weeds and and the frog looks really great, which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, I love this cover. Okay, so this one is called Things Get Bad, and Wolverine is standing at the opening splash on the prow of a ship, wearing no shirt, because he hasn't been for a while, but he is sporting a brand new eye patch, which I'm guessing he purchased on Amazon.com with their special Prime two-day delivery, because they will <laughs> deliver to the open ocean within two days, right. which is where Wolverine and Jason have been hanging out for the last two days. It all worked out. Or maybe it was um, in a box called Boat Stuff. Yeah. On the boat, and he was like, Monthly oh, boat cool. Stuff box. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or Pirate's Accessories or something. <laughs> And they probably like do a portmanteau of pirate successories. Right. And, you know, it, they, you know, it's just the name they went with. It was probably Tom's idea. Um, so Jason informs Wolverine of events that he might have missed in the Uncanny X-Men 229 while he was like fighting Reavers, specifically the fact that her brain was partially drained and remade in evil form. We also find out things that we didn't know. Namely, that after being sent back to the site of her family's death, um, her survival was not smiled upon by people who knew her. And she instantly became a social pariah, and um, her, her bank fell apart. And she realized that she didn't care. She no longer had the same priorities that she had previously as the banker's daughter. So then she decides that she is going to avenge her family. First thing she wants to do is put her life in order. She needs a job, but no one's going to hire her. As I said, social pariah. We see her going from person to person. And she decides to find out why no one wants her. So she like um, creeps into some building in uh, the Meridian Bank in Asia and hacks into computers. She gets found by some security guards, but she ninjas their asses. And... She realizes that her bank, Juan International, had been seen as a threat to Meridian Bank. So they had been dismantled. And all of those things pointed her toward Roche. And uh, the crime lord of Madripoor had engaged the Reavers. And that was the whole backstory to issue 229 that we had never known. So now what was just... Uh, late 80s, early 90s, stereotypical smash them up with, you know, half cyborgs now actually has some backstory and drive behind it. Okay, so she talks about how she continues beating people up and starts referring to herself as the tiger with a Y. This surprises Wolverine. You're the tiger. And um, the Reavers had given her that name in one panel. They're like, uh, they, they liked her feisty resistance, so they called her a tiger, and, yeah. and she decided to claim it. And yeah, so all of that flashbacking over, she and Wolverine are still on the boat, still cruising along, and they come up against another boat. They're like, hey, let's go check out that boat. <laughs> so they jump over and find a whole bunch of dead people. And like, huh, that's weird. And 
she realizes that someone is still alive. She hears a voice down in the hold. So she opens the door down to the hold. She sees a guy named Lee, or or maybe she just says Lee for no reason. And as she runs in, she looks over and sees explosives behind the door. And she triggers a skaboom, which blows up the whole boat and blows up the end of the issue. So anyways, um, things get bad. Things get bad. And aside from the eye patch, though, another great opening splash page. Yes. And the eye patch does not look bad. I actually, this whole reading experience is my introduction to the idea of Wolverine as Patch. This week I've been editing a very, very old episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics because um, that show's coming back and I've got a few old Yay. episodes to get out there. And oh, wait, 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 wait. The guys I knew you were going to do old episodes. I guess coming back, coming back? Yeah, coming back, coming back. We're gonna, I'm gonna start out by releasing some old recordings that never got released, yeah. as a sort of lost episodes kind of thing, and then the show's gonna come back with 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 new people. Awesome. I'm gonna be assisted by uh, Michael Bailey, if you know who he is. Yes, I do. He's and the, uh... so that's exciting. But um, one of the guys we had on, Stephen Lacey, made a passing reference to Wolverine as Patch, and I remember not having a clue what he was talking about. <laughs> Because I just don't know this era of X-Men at all. And so it's been kind of neat to, to get to know. But yeah, he's wearing a patch. You know, Do you know why he's wearing a patch? I figured it out. Uh, he no longer has his awesome hat. Yeah, he's got to hide his identity. So since he no longer has his awesome hat, now he needs an eye patch. It makes total sense. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to know where he got it, though. Like... Where did he get this patch? I don't know. It's on the boat. It was on the boat. It has to be on the boat. I also wish that every time he got surprised, his eye patch like popped up. <laughs> you know what? You know what he needs. He needs a claw snake to come out of him as uh, his eye socket underneath that patch. <laughs> he like lifts the patch and a claw pops out. That's what he needs. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um. Yeah. There's lots of backstory, and I really like Jason's trajectory. I really like that we get background to issue 229, because I felt like issue 229 seriously liked background, which is normally not a problem for Claremont. Right. Um, I like that we fleshed out the character. I like that Wolverine is now starting to give her some sidelong glances. He says to her on page six, I fight people like you. Right. And that's going to be a theme for the rest of this story, is this kind of push and pull between them of they've saved each other they they owe each other a debt but they're they're starting to fall on opposite sides of of the good guy bad guy thing because i mean her intentions of of vengeance for her family and justification may be good but she still wants to be the crime lord of madripoor which is a criminal i mean that's a criminal job posting she's going after so, yeah, it's very interesting the way the the tension that starts to, to really develop between them. One of the things that is starting to kick into my brain as I'm reading this is what exactly Dave Chappell wanted him to do. Um, because this is the last chapter that's going to give us, you know, flashbacks and backstory, I believe. And we haven't had a mention of Dave Chappell since, I think, issue four, which was just in passing. Right. So... Wolverine ran across this guy in the desert randomly uh-huh. who's dying and he gives him a locket and says, save the tiger, Rosebud. 
you know, it right. dies. <laughs> um, so Wolverine goes on this mission, save the tiger, save the tiger, got to save the tiger. Okay, snick, snick, snick. And <laughs> he goes to Madripoor and decides to save the tiger. He goes to the princess bar because he has the locket there, which I'm guessing, since he has history with the princess bar, he knew damn well where he was going with that thing. But why? who is Dave Chappell? Why did he care? Why does, you know, what kind of saving does this girl need? Obviously, she's pretty, she can take care of herself. I, it's just all these questions are going through my head, and they're all questions that aren't really going to get answered. Right. Was she in the locket? The locket was a picture of the owner of the bar and the woman that it was named after. Okay, right. Okay, so so the locket and the tiger aren't really connected in any way. No, the locket's connected to the princess bar. Okay. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> why would you give her the, why do you give him the locket then? Right, here's the locket. Now go save the tiger. Maybe Dave Chappell knew that Tiger knew O'Donnell. Maybe. I don't so know. he gives Logan the locket. Logan knows the locket's tied to the princess bar because he has history with that place. Right. And I guess we could we could construct a backstory through we could. the things that yeah. are given. <laughs> um, it wouldn't be too hard to fill in some gaps, I guess, if we just talked it out for five minutes. But <laughs> I, it's, it's the sort of thing that I, I, I kept expecting them to come back to and flesh out. And yeah. that's... When going back to earlier conversation about uh, serialized storytelling, there are lots of elements that are dropped in the early chapters, not dropped as in left behind, but dropped as in thrown out there. And then he never comes back to them. Right. And we end up with a storyline that comes away having no motivation for having started in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Which just to compare it to 229 was the same thing, but we got the background for that one. Yeah, <laughs> we get so- that here. Maybe we'll find more about Chapel later. Planned when he wrote two twenty nine, <laughs> but he didn't. He yeah. doesn't give us the background for this. Anyways, I'm, I'm going around in circles, but yeah, it's, it's it, part of my problem with the setup and the structure of the storyline is starting to come out here. However, this particular chapter, um, this is six, right? Yes. Yeah, this particular chapter I thought was pretty good. Yeah, I enjoyed and, it. Not a lot happened beyond backstory, but I really enjoyed the backstory. I liked the chapter. I gave it um, five out of six unemployable bankers. I gave it five out of six claws as well. A real quick bonus material. Uh, there's an incredible Hulk story called Risky Business that was the Mr. Fix-It era of the Hulk, which I like. So that was a fun little story. Uh, but yes, I also gave number six five out of six claws. And that was a Bobby Chase written storyline for the Hulk. And I usually like her stuff, so... I'm, I'm familiar with that name. I do like Purvis. Purvis did did that era of the Hulk. He was a regular artist. So okay. So in the in the Incredible Hulk was that Peter David writing, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, I say I like her stuff. I was expecting to see more credits to her whenever I clicked her name. Maybe she's not who I thought she was. Oh. <laughs> Is Bobby Chase the one who would go on to run the Vertigo line? No, that can't not, be right. I don't know. Who the hell is Bobby Chase? Why do I know that name? <laughs> I, I click on her and I nothing comes up. <laughs> um, okay. Well, anyway, she wrote she wrote at least one interesting story of the Hulk in Las Vegas. So there you go. She was one of Marvel Group's editors in chief, which is the highest level a female editor has ever achieved in the company. Nice. Um, she she worked closely with Peter David on the Incredible Hulk, 
and she added significant runs. Um, and I'm not going to write down her list of titles, but G.I. Joe, Hulk, and Star Trek comics are the biggest ones. She held with the Edge line. Huh. But anyways. I don't, so she's when not did she do G.I. Joe? I thought Larry Hammond did the whole run on G.I. Joe. No, she helped edit it. Oh, help edit. Okay, okay. So she okay. was she was Helma's boss on a lot of the G.I. Joe. All right, cool. And I know where I've run across her name because she edited a lot of the New 52 DC comics, like Batgirl, Nightwing, Teen Titans, Red Hood, ah. The Outlaws, Birds of Prey, and Green Arrow. So she was over um, several of the DC titles, which is why I know her name. Okay. All right, cool. Not that it matters. But there, <laughs> there she She's right. over there being awesome somewhere. Yes. So that's going to take us to number seven. Things get worse. Things got bad. Now they get worse. This cover wraparound is by Bob Layton and his Wolverine and Tiger swimming underwater with stuff falling around them. And on the back we have Kung Fu, Submariner, and Man-Thing also swimming underwater. All surrounded by lots and lots of bubbles. I really like that Namor on the back yeah yeah it's nice. i actually think i like the back of this cover more than the front uh i do too a uh, kung fu master guy is uh he's swimming a little fancy he's kind of synchronized swimming well he's just in the but, middle of a kick yeah right um but yeah shang chi and namor yeah actually they could be in the middle of a show yeah <laughs> they're probably swimming circles around the man thing who is right now doing his surge out of the water right and and they are like, um, he's the centerpiece, and they are the show. There you go. Him. I like it. I like your I like your story of the cover. <laughs> Wolverine's cover is an ac- uh, costume is anachronistic, but other than that, I do like the front of the cover as well. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. All right, so what we find out is that Wolverine actually saved Tiger from the exploding boat, and they eventually swim to shore, where Wolverine. Now in an eye patch, asks Tiger if she wants to fight or flight. Tiger says they're even. You can go ahead and go home now. But Wolverine says, nope, I'm going to finish Roche either way. And by the way, Tiger, if you don't do better, I'll come back to finish you also. Roche's punk boys hit Tiger's whorehouse, but Wolverine and Tiger take them out. A punk boy spills that Roche knows that the tiger is really O'Donnell, oops, and plans to kill him at his via. Speaking of the via, Roche plans to torture O'Donnell, not just kill him. Okay. Yeah. So we have another opening splash page. It's pretty good. This time, Patch and Tiger kissing underwater. Um... Yeah, I actually have. I mean, I I, re, I really like the composition. Um, my issue with this is that it's not CPR because neither one of them is unconscious. They're just trading air. Right. That's not romantic. I mean, it shouldn't be <laughs> romantic. And yet he says, under the circumstances, I don't mind one bit. Right. What's going on? So I'm just like, uh, don't be such a douche <laughs> <Wolverine>. <laughs> it's weird because he can be like the gentleman of japan right or he can be downright pervy and a horn dog with gene gray especially in the classic x-men backup stories yes yes i just read one <laughs> it was 
he and she were like down underground somewhere. They were being, I don't know, it was, it was, it was weird. All they were being attacked by monsters that she was barely keeping away with her telepathic sphere. And all he could do is say, Hey, let's get in the pants. Let me get in your pants. Let me get in your pants. The whole time she's like, No, Wolverine, no, Wolverine. They're getting closer, Wolverine. I can't keep the shield up forever, Wolverine. He's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex, sex, sex. <laughs> and it almost intimates that they actually make out before the whole show's over. Yeah. And while they're being surrounded by goblins. But it's 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 weird. Anyways, um on page two, there's a phrasing that I thought was really funny at the bottom of page two, the, I guess it's panel five dove deep and swam as far as I could sharing my breath. So she wouldn't drown before coming up slow in the lee of another junk. And I don't know what it is. I know that junks are boats, right? And I know, but, but Lee also is the dude that just died. So it's like the Lee of another junk just has some sort of weird, twisted genital reference feel to it. Well, there's another um, one they say about getting on the junk. And all I could think of was like, oh, yeah, get up on my junk. <laughs> yeah. So we're both 12, evidently. Apparently, yeah. No surprise to listeners of this show. <laughs> <laughs> they go to Madame Joy's, or at least we, the readers, go to Madame Joy's, which is being run over by Roche's men. It has just become the worst little whorehouse in Madripoor. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to say. About either. this particular chapter. No. But I really enjoyed reading it. Yeah. Uh, that guy spits one bloody loogie on Wolverine's cheek. Yeah. Uh, that, that thing is blood red. <laughs> that's really gross. Yeah, that's pretty nasty. I don't know if that was like a coloring error. Because I don't think there's any reason. No, he did just get his face smashed in. So yeah, he's going he's gonna to be spitting blood. Yeah. And then again, it's daytime at the Via. It's always daytime at the Via. Maybe he pays for that. Maybe so. He is the crime lord of Madripoor. So maybe he has a biodome. Yeah, that's what he has. <laughs> All he needs is um, Polly Shore and yeah. that other guy to come and wreck it. There you go. Oh. <laughs> All right, so bonus material, the Neymar story in this book kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I never really dug Neymar, so yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for the Neymar story to, that the, there's got to be one out there that's going to grab me, and I'm still waiting for it. See, I'm a sucker for like Atlantis stuff, but I do have trouble getting into Submariner. Not as much Aquaman. I, I normally enjoy Aquaman a little more, believe it Especially more modern Aquaman. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, as far as Marvel Comics presents number seven, the Wolverine story, um, I've stayed right on track with five out of six claws. Um, yeah, I liked that um, O'Donnell was mistaken as the tiger. Yes. And so I'm going to give this chapter five out of six mistaken tigers. Yeah. And I can see Roche Douche later being like, the tiger can't be a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm sure that in addition to everything else, he probably is a misogynist. I would assume so. Yeah. That's what makes him a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Or he could just be downright evil and, and sinister, but have, you know, high ideals for women's equality in the world. You, know, you, you never know. It could happen. It, it could. It's very possible. 
Okay, issue eight has a fan freaking tastic cover. It's the front part, yeah. The Wolverine part and Swamp, or not Swamp Thing, oops, uh, Man Thing <laughs> are really great. Then the little two panels on the back are really weird. Um, that yeah, Iron Man. Yeah, they don't blend in with anything. They're just kind of there. That Iron Man is the most un-Iron Iron Man I've ever seen. Yeah. Talking about synchronized swimmers, he looks like he's just like some sort of ballet person. That's not an iron costume. No, not at that all. That is a spandex costume with some armored bits. Yeah. Yep. Wow. You're yep. not supposed to draw musculature in the iron. <laughs> Charles Vess? Charles oh, Vess. You're drunk. Yep. But the front part with Wolverine and Man-Thing and the, the, the setting moon or rising moon, I guess, depends. Um Looks great. Wolverine looks kind of like a werewolf. Has kind of that old, like, old monster movie feel to it. Mm-hmm. And Vess, um, Vess was singularly responsible for me buying more issues of Web of Spider-Man than I should have. Because he drew some fantastic covers on that series as well. I, I do like whenever they use covers to join together the different properties. They don't, they, they, they don't need to do it every issue. Right. They, they don't do it every issue. But when they do compositions that incorporate the different people, it, it you know often really works. And I like that here. Um, I'm going to dig it on issue 10 as well. So, yeah, man, thing looking at us sideways is really cool. So this is, um, this is the fight. It's part eight. And we don't get a splash page. No, we don't. They broke form. I was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was liking the splash pages. Yeah, the title page kind of serves as one. Yeah, yeah. So we're at Roche's estate where Wolverine um, has changed clothes. So somewhere between the junk and now, he decided to get some new clothes. I guess he was tired of running around and without a shirt on. Right. So he's like, okay, you know what? You know what, Jessen? Let's go find some clothes because I need some clothing. And... Um, you know, let's go to this, uh, what's it called? Spencer's Gifts over here. They have really cool clothes. So he gets like a black jumpsuit with a red belt. Um, he also gets, I don't know exactly how this happened. I don't know if they like went to New York and he asked Spider-Man for the webbing on his face. <laughs> Or if he just happened to carry some around from the last time he and Spider-Man were talking. But he now has Spider-Man webbing across his face. It's like more than a domino mask, but less than a mask mask. Okay. Anyways, so um, they are uh, sneaking into Roche's estate. Wolverine goes through like a, a water passage under a bridge. He goes to the courtyard. He digs a hole outside of the, like the, the, the biodome walls, I guess. <laughs> oh wait, it's <laughs> nighttime at the via. Oh, holy and, shit. And I guess they've just got really good city infrastructure in Madripoor where all of the cable bearings are clearly labeled. So that, like, if they have to have the technicians come out and work on things, they have all those, like, little orange spray paint stuff. <laughs> um, because he knew exactly where to dig he can for smell the phone it. lines and power lines leading into Roche's place so that he can slash them with his cables. Um, he then, like, power vaults his way up the wall. And meanwhile, Jasan is not 
you know, slacking behind either. She has Ramboed up. So here's what they did. They went to the Spencer's Gifts, and right next to it, they went to the gun store. Right. Okay? Um, they skipped the Walden books because Wolverine doesn't have time for comics right now. <laughs> so she has gotten herself, like, a whole, like, ammo sashes and guns and some Phoenix makeup on. Um, she has definitely seen her share of shoot 'em up movies. They storm the stronghold. Roche yells at his people. Why is she yelling at his people? Well, oh, because the power's gone He's yelling at his people because the power has gone out to him to activate the emergency generators because he really wants to torture O'Donnell the tiger. Um, Sapphire's there looking damn sexy. Razor Fist is there looking damn sexy. I mean, looking. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a nice piece right there. He's he's a hunk of man. Um, they release the hounds, and Wolverine's like, "Ugh, Gobermans! They smell me!" And he growls at them until they run away. No, he growls at them until they have seizures. Poor dogs. Are they seizuring? <laughs> no, not really. Like, it's just what it looks like. <laughs> oh, it does because they're all quivering. Like, um, okay, so but all of his growling draws attention. <laughs> this is some serious growling. This is not just like, you know, us growling at dogs that would make them eat us. This is some serious scare the dogs growling. So they showed a light on him. He's been spotted. They start shooting him. He dives in through a window, sees some guys, punches them up. Meanwhile, Jisan is making her way down into a building she is hoping that O'Donnell is still alive. She's like, revered ancestors, please let me be in time. The revered ancestors don't hear her because they're dead. And she runs into <laughs> a room where Sapphire is about to have her way with O'Donnell, not in a good way, and she shoots Sapphire down. Meanwhile, the Inquisitor, who's done nothing but like be sinister in the background this entire time, has lines and some moves. He gets his whip out. Oh, yeah. And he whips Jassan by the throat to the floor and uh, tells him, open your eyes, little one. Take a good long look at the last thing you'll ever see, which I'm hoping does not have the connotations that it could possibly have because that's just gross. (laughs) And um, yeah, so Wolverine has meanwhile beat up a hundred guys except Razor Fist. Razor Fist is standing there. He has this thing where he crosses his arms, but instead of like sticking his fingers in his armpits or like folding his fists behind his elbows, or I don't know how women fold their arms because the boobs are in their way. They got like fold them underneath their boobs. Right. And he's got like man boobs thing going on. So, but his, his swords like stick out to the side while he's doing this. It's a very, it's actually kind of a badass pose actually. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. More like, look at it. Anyways. So, um, Yeah. He decides that the only way the Wolverine's going to get into Roche's estate is over Razor Fist's dead body. Yeah. And Wolverine has a look on his face like, challenge accepted. <laughs> Continue next issue. Yeah. We get some pretty great stuff. Um, I don't mind the webbing on his face. I guess I always just saw it as like eye black and they just cross crosshatch the inking. But so maybe he's doing like a like a hitman from Kick Ass and is just like smearing black around his eyes. Yeah. No, Big Daddy, not Hitman. Big Daddy from right. Kick Ass. He smears the black shoe polish. Have you seen that movie? 
Uh, it's been a, I saw it when it first came out. It's one of my favorite movies. Love that movie. Okay, so yeah, okay, I can see it as being like a weird way of representing just some black makeup on his face. I can see that. Right. I but do why like how he. Oh, did he lose go ahead. His... Go ahead. Did he lose? Did he lose his patch? What happened to his patch? Um, it fell off in the water. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that this jumpsuit. I mean, he he wears it in the Wolverine series, which has yes. already premiered by now. So right. it showed up there first, and it shows up here. But chronologically, I want to say that he got it for this fight and kept it for later. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Uh, because it's great for climbing walls. I actually really like how he uses his claws to climb up the wall. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, he uses his claws to get up the walls and just sign. But she just shimmies on up there. She just uses her wall climbing skills and low body mass to, to get up the wall. Yeah. And dude, Inquisitor is a master with the whip. Because before he chokes her with it, he uses it to grab her gun. With a snap. <laughs> yeah. So he, he whips the gun, throws it to the side, then whips her neck that pulls her to the ground. And and yeah, he realizes that they might have been about to execute the wrong tiger. So he, yeah. he twigs to the, what's going on before Roche has figured it out. Yeah, definitely. He's he's the, the, the quiet, smart one in the group. All right, what else you got for number eight? Um, not a whole lot. Um, I actually had a lot more fun making the synopsis up as I went along just now than I did reading it the first time. This didn't really do a whole lot for me the first time I read it through. So I gave the fight four out of six spiderweb domino masks. It's a connective episode, but I don't know. Yeah. I stayed at five. Like, like I said, at the front, most of mine are going to be the same. (laughs) So. That takes us to number nine, the penultimate chapter. Now, is... between eight and nine is when Wolverine used the name Patch for the first time. Well, and that, that'll come into play because suddenly he's known as Patch. <laughs> yeah. So it's been in Uncanny X-Men earlier. Then it's in Wolverine. And I think he's wearing the Patch and Wolverine some too and he uses it. And it's going to be here soon. Yeah. So this is the confrontation. We had the fight. Now we have the confrontation. This cover is by Brian Murray. I don't care for this cover. Um, this, the style of it just doesn't do anything for me. But it was Wolverine coming out of a shadow, fighting a guy with a paperclip for an earring. Or not a paperclip. Uh, damn it. Clothespin. Clothespin for safety an earring. Pin. Yeah, safety pin for an earring. And... um. And on the back, we have uh, the cloak that looks like the Watcher and El Aguila and the man thing hunching over. Actually, the back part of the cover is probably cooler than the front part. but It really is. Um, I don't mind his style so much. I actually like what he's going for on the cover, but his anatomy is really weird. Like, where exactly is Wolverine's leg coming out of? His chest. I'm pretty sure it is because it's a lot larger than it would be if it were coming out of his rear, like two feet farther back. Right. Um, how do you feel about middle longer claw? Like having a longer middle claw. Oh no, I like them more even. I prefer them even as well. I just, I, it seems to be a thing that some artists like to do that like to have, I guess since our knuckles have a, a, 
slope to them. Right. They decide that the claws should also have different lengths to them. But if they're coming out of the... I mean, I guess it depends... Again, it kind of go back to where you find the claws come from. If they're coming out of the arm, there's no reason for them to correspond to your finger lengths. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any logic at all that you come up with that they would need to be different lengths. Right. But you are correct. Some people definitely love to do that. All right, so here we go. We're coming up to the last bit here. Um, the two-prong attack by Wolverine and Tiger is underway. Wolverine takes on Razor Fist while Tiger Tiger, now has two names, grapples with the Inquisitor. Wolvie's fight is neck and neck. Tiger Tiger gets the upper hand, but then Sapphire Sticks shows up. Razor Fist knocks Logan down. Sapphire is an energy vampire, but Tiger Tiger literally bites her on the neck. So who's more vampiric? I don't know. Um, but she's woozy, so Sapphire and Inquisitor escape. Uh, Wolfie finally pops his claws and kills Razor Fist. Because most of the fight, he's just fighting with his fist. For no reason. Um. <laughs> well, he, he's been doing that most of the time to, to save his identity. He only pops his claws whenever the person's not going to know to tell about it. Right, yeah. So when he gets ready to kill Razor Fist, he, he, go ahead, he went ahead and snicked him. Um, another great opening splash page of... Wolverine punching Razor Fist in the ribs. Yeah. It's pretty nice. It's a much, it's basically the same idea as like that other cover we had, but so much better executed. Oh, definitely. Though the um, lacking in Razor Fist buttocks. Yes. Actually, the one thing about that cover I didn't mention that I liked was the idea of Wolverine his blades out grappling with razor fist blades. I like that idea. It's not happening here, but still I prefer this, this execution of the idea. Right. So this razor fist actually gets to use his razors. Now he's actually cutting and stabbing stuff. Yeah. He's, he's actually slicing and dicing, but I have a question. Okay. Wolverine says, Jess is a lot more than she seems. Calls herself Tiger Tiger with good reason. When did she start calling herself that? Because I have not read Tiger Tiger before now. No, it's the first. Yeah, that's a very good question. I can only assume that at some point they had to plan this little attack they were doing. Like they had to like get some napkins out and draw like little little diagrams of the base. And Wolverine's be like, hey, I'm going to go in here. You're going to go in here. And he's like, by the way, from now on, call me Patch. And she's like, oh, well, um, then I'm Tiger Tiger, but it's spelled two different ways. And Wolverine's like, cool. Well, he, first he like looks at her. He's like, Tiger Tiger. She's like, yeah, because I am the Tiger, but I also have a name, which is Tiger. So like... I'm the tiger like the animal with an I, but I'm the name tiger with a Y. So, but, so I, I'm tiger, tiger. And he just goes along with it. <laughs> Actually, well, he, he mutters to himself under his breath and no one can hear him. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> We almost get lesbian kissing. Almost. Almost. But it was still 88, so they couldn't show it. We're still yeah. we're still a comics authority at this point. Barely. <laughs> yeah. 
like I'm wondering if if we have yet reached the point in history where nobody's at the CCA office anymore. Because <laughs> you know that's what happened, right? No, is that why it went away? Yeah. Oh. So the story I heard, and I cannot remember where I heard this because you know, I, I, I've never bothered to, to verify it, um, is that they, they, the, the way the CCA works is they send their comics to the CCA, and if the CCA has any changes, they write back. If there are no changes to your comic, you are allowed to stamp the CCA on the cover. And actually, this comic does not have a CCA on the cover as I'm looking at the cover. But anyways. Yeah, it does. Um, Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Besides the nine, I was looking for a little separate rectangle. Um, so they just weren't getting comics or, or notes back from the CCA, and somebody <laughs> drove over there and found like a huge stack of mail in an empty office. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like the Roanoke Island, and no one knows what happened. If they like blended in with the natives and no one, you know, ever got any communication back with them or what. But yeah, it's, um, yeah. So they stopped using it. Huh. Well, sorry, Tipper Gore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, so they almost, they almost, um, make out a little bit, but then she bites her right on the neck. You thought the bad guy was a vampire, but the good guy, she goes, Tiger. Not simply in name, but in fact. And then she slashes her with a burning sword. It's pretty. She's, she's pretty brutal. Yeah, and um, so she burns Sapphire's face, which Sapphire, you know, Captain Sex Appeal that she is, probably does not like that very much at all. Um, on that same face, same face. On that same page, Razor Fist calls him Patch. Out of nowhere. Yes, out of nowhere. Like, that's the first time the name has been used in this comic, and it's coming from Razor Fist, and we don't know why. Nope. I think it's one of those things that you would only know why if you're concurrently reading the other X books. Yeah. And they just kind of shoved it in here just because. Which is weird because, I mean, like I said, this story doesn't feel like it's intermingling. Like you don't no, get the impression doesn't. that like Wolverine like went to Madripoor and then went back home and then came back to Madripoor, hung out with Tiger, and then like there's no time for him to go anywhere. He's like here the whole time. And, and he's not going and hanging out with Jesse McCabe between issues. Right. So this is definitely a, a single sequential story happening in the space of maybe twenty four, forty eight hours. Right. Um so I think 14 of which he was a, tortured for a, a no reason. writing ball that Claremont dropped because he was doing so many stories at one time. He didn't quite get the introduction of the nickname <laughs> down right. We are going to get some narration that explains it in the next issue. Yes. But it's not even that other people are calling him Patch. And the first person who calls him Patch is somebody else. Wolverine doesn't claim the name for himself first. Anyways. Yeah, um, there's an insane... Go ahead. I was going to say, but that's an awesome snicked. Yes. It's a great snicked and um, sextuple stabbing of the ribcage on the next page is pretty badass. Yeah. And here you do get them interlocking their blades and their claws again. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And we get some some nice razor fist butt on that middle panel. Oh, yeah. Look at that. 
They're like, Shawa! <laughs> and then Wolverine goes in for the kill first. But that last panel is bizarre. It's weird. It's real weird. I don't know who that is. I don't either. He's got a throat the size of Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> but, um... But I really liked this issue. This was uh, mostly solid action like the last one, but it just resonated more with me. I felt like there was more character, peril, and and drive going on. Um, Really liked the vampire parallelism scene between the tiger and Sapphire. It was a nice, like, kind of turn the tables. It was really cool. Yeah, she's draining his energy, but Tiger goes for the jugular. And um, so I'm going to give this chapter five out of six vampire bites to the juggler. I this was the one that was a little bit different. I actually gave this six out of six claws. I really enjoyed okay. the penultimate chapter. And from bonus material, two of the backups in this story or in this issue are the best two backups of the issues we read for this episode. Oh, um, you like the Alagula one? Yeah, it's really fun. It's by Scott Lobdell and I don't know who Larry Alexander is, but his pencils are really nice. Um, it's just a really cheeky story, but I, I really enjoyed it. And the cloak story by, um, Mark McLaren and Tony Sammons was also really good. If this would have been some really early work for Lobdell, wouldn't it? Yes, it would have. But I think oh, yeah, his looking, first Marvel work. He did work. two What The Stories and then this. Wow. Yeah. So this is right at the beginning of his, of his work for Marvel. Yeah, so it's pretty fun. It doesn't have the same like gravitas as the Wolverine story we're reading. Like it's definitely lighthearted, but I really enjoy mm-hmm. it. So, and the well, lighthearted well. Yeah, and the cloak story, besides being really good, also really paralleled. Um, do you remember the baby Jessica story? Like in baby real life, Jessica. in real life, uh, the girl who fell in the well, like in Midland, Texas. It was a big oh. deal. Like, people, like, were glued to the news, like, trying to get this girl out of, like, this well, like, out in the desert. And, um, anyway, so it was a really big, like, news story. And this story, the cloak story, starts off with another girl. I don't remember her name, but she she got stuck in a well, too. But this time, the mole people saved her. Because <laughs> Marvel. <laughs> Marvel instead of real life. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, you know, why why not use the Moloids when you can? Right, yeah. I guess. Okay, well, that takes us to the final chapter. Yeah, buddy, number 10. Marvel Comics presents issue 10 with a fastball special on the cover. We have Colossus, who is starting in this issue, throwing Wolverine forward, and there's a Wolverine profile sketched in the background. Um, I thought this was like a natural choice for the cover as we transition characters. If you're going to do Colossus and Wolverine on a cover, why not do a fastball special? Yeah, uh, I like the fastball special. So like this cover is uh, by Mike Harris. Um, I don't really like the Wolverine. Um, a, his claws are terrible. And this is the podcast that goes snicked. And so there's nothing that's more of a turnoff for me from an artist than terrible Wolverine claws. But his Colossus isn't bad. Right? I don't know. I just can't get into his Wolverine. 
No, as I'm looking at the details more, I can kind of agree. And yeah, those claws, I can deal with a slight curvature to them, although I think that that's wrong and anatomically impossible. Right. Um, but his left-hand claws <laughs> are like the arcs of a circle. Yeah. They're like when you see, like, in Ripley's Believe It or Not, like the old Chinese guy with the, like, 10 years worth of fingernails. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess borderline that. <laughs> They're like cat claws, that kind of a curvature to them. Yeah. But, but okay. thin and papery. So the resolution is the title of our chapter. Wolverine has had his spiderweb mask torn off by Razor Fist, or maybe all the ma- makeup got wiped off by Razor Fist. Um, he goes downstairs and finds O'Donnell. O'Donnell is sitting there holding guns. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing O'Donnell shot down the Inquisitor. I I'm not sure know. where the Inquisitor is. Where, no, is, I mean, they, they ran is, away after Tiger Tiger bit. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So I was like, why isn't he here? So O'Donnell's just like sitting there post torture, not going anywhere. Wolverine helps him up and out of the building. As they're walking along, Roche comes out and is like, I'm going to kill you with my shotgun. And so we'll, and so the tiger kills him, jumps out of the bushes, slashes his neck, cuts off his head almost. Does, not almost. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I see that panel where his head is sitting next to his body. Wolverine took the shotgun blast straight to the torso and so falls down on the ground, dead. O'Donnell sees him dead. Tiger, tiger, tiger sees him dead. And um, she says, no miracles this time as on my junk. (laughs) Get on my junk. So evidently the miracles on her junk are not going to be repeated now because that would (laughs) be necrophilia. Yeah, she straight up says, I'm pretty sure he's dead. Let's make out. Yeah, she does give him a goodbye kiss, which is sweet. But it's also always weird when somebody kisses a dead body. Um, O'Donnell walks her away because, you know, they're, they're friends, they're close friends from who knows how far back. And as they leave mourning him, Wolverine has heard the entire procession and he's allowed himself to be seen as dead because of the whole secret identity thing. He stands up, he looks down on Madripoor, he's getting ready to go back to the X-Men. It's one problem though. He likes it here, and he likes Tiger. So he goes back to the princess bar and finds Jason all sorts of duded up in elegant Asian-style dress. I'm not sure this entire thing you would wear if, if you would go, if you're going to a formal thing in the States, but I can see it being very elegant and formal in another culture. She hears his voice she spins around and throws a dagger at it <laughs> before she's like, <laughs> you alive? And he catches the dagger and they have a talk about the fact that she's going to be the new Roche, but she's going to try to have a bit of nobility to her. And she likes the fact that Wolverine's going to be there to help her toe the line. So um, they make out seriously thoroughly yeah and that's the end but it's also the beginning there you go 
Yeah, I think I think she gave him more tongue when he was dead than she did when she thought he was alive. <laughs> I Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I Can actually, we see O'Donnell down there with the I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna jump to page two, but we should look at the uh, splash page first. It's great. It's nice. I really like the colors. Of course I we haven't said that much about the colors. It's been really good this whole story and you know, listeners of the show know that I have high praise for Glennis Oliver almost all the time. But I really love the colors on this flash page. Yeah. Uh she she does really good um lighting yes. in different environments. Oh yeah. With her different tones of a particular color or different hues of it. So I really like that as well. Um it's a little bit weird sometimes where Jason's face is yellow for no reason, but I think that might have been a production issue rather than a colorist issue. Right. But yeah, it's a really good splash page. It's a nice final splash page because Wolverine is about to kick all the ass oh, yeah. and bring this story to a close. Yep. And even though he's not the one who delivers the coup de grace to the bad guy, it's good in the Wolverine story to present, like, that's what he's going to do. <laughs> right. And I love when Wolverine finds O'Donnell because that feels like something straight out of a movie. Like, you have this guy who's, like, beat up, but he's holding a gun. In case someone comes down, he's going to be ready to try to shoot him. Like, I feel like I've seen that scene a hundred times, but it's really, I just, I don't know, I really enjoyed it. And probably the gun was, like, pointed at the doorway when Wolverine walked in, but he, like, lets it drop because Wolverine's yeah. his friend. Right. Or whoever this guy is because he doesn't know that it's Wolverine. And... The, 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 the dispatchment of Roche, I just felt was like a little bit of, it was a little bit quick, you was, know? Yeah. It was a little anticlimactic for sure. And he's, they call it a, a spaz 12 automatic combat shotgun. I didn't know that automatic shotguns were a thing. That's going to give a nasty uh, wound. Yeah, you should have read more Punisher comics growing up. <laughs> Multiple cartridges of shot being sprayed? That's nasty. Yeah, it is. And he says he took it all in his sternum. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, healing factor and all, but... Right. It almost looks like the way that's drawn, it almost looks like his head gets blown off. Yeah. Like, look at that look at that panel. Look at where his head is. It definitely like looks like it broke his neck for sure. Yeah. I also love how it looks like when Tiger Tiger jumps out of the bush with the sword. Like the circle around it makes it look like she was like swinging it around and around and around. <laughs> yeah, she probably scared him silly when she jumps out. Because she's screaming murderer. Right. And I think, and I had to go back and look, but I think this is the first time that Roche has actually seen this woman. At least in this garb, yeah. And so he, she kills him. And Wolverine is really good at faking his own death. And I'm going to say that's probably because he's a student of Xavier's. Yeah, that works. That's what Xavier does. <laughs> and finally on page six, Logan tells us he's going to go by Patch. And Madripoor. Yeah, that's going to be his alias. And we get the nice James Bond white tuxedo that we'll see in the Wolverine solo series for a little while. And um, you know what I'm just thinking about? The way Vesima draws this. You know, most eye patches cover a little more than just the actual eyeball. 
Mm-hmm. This is one tiny eye patch. And it's not the same eye as he was wearing it on earlier. Yeah. What are you, are you sure? No, but I'm checking as I say it. Okay. I think it is. I think it's always the left eye. Cause you know, yeah, it is. He, I'm sorry. He's a big TLC fan. He, he didn't want to chase the waterfall and he loves left eye Lopez. <laughs> and he knows Nick Fury from way back. So he's going to go to the same eye. Yeah. Yep. All right, so let's grade this and then talk about the whole series for a minute. So the tiger is saved. Um, I, I still have all my questions I talked about earlier and how they didn't get resolved, but <laughs> the resolution does bring things to a nice resolution, and I give it five out of six drop narrative threads. Okay. I also gave it five out of six claws, um, which would be my overall score for the story. That was a pretty good, like, just kind of solo Wolverine story. Lots of, in, well, not really intrigue, but lots of action. Lots of good inner narration. And, you know, I don't remember when Tiger Tiger comes back, but I'm definitely interested in reading about it. So it did a good job of setting her up as a new character that you want to see again, I thought. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed the story overall. Uh, art, writing, all of it was pretty good. So what what are your, kind of your general thoughts? I expressed my problems with the storyline earlier, so I'm going to focus now on the strengths. For Solo Wolverine, in my experience so far, which, as, as I said before, is sequential. Like, I haven't read much of anything about Wolverine after this up until, like, the last five years. Um, there you, you can't beat Claremont no. for Solo Wolverine. No, it's... A very and distinct this, voice, very distinct characterization that he carried on from story to story is very unified. Um, yeah, no, he, he's the man. And I feel like, um, you know, you can't really beat, like, like the way the story was structured as far as what it did for Wolverine and bring him into Madripoor and I guess structure less and more like just the things it does for Wolverine in the story is really, really good. If all solo Wolverine work was this good, well, it probably is for a while, which is why he gets so saturated. Right. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, I really like the story and I was reading the Solo Wolverine series alongside this. I've read the first three issues so far and it's a decent opening arc too. And they're written by the same guy, and I think they are the same artist. Yeah, but different inker, but yeah. It's just really nice, solid stuff that while it allows Wolverine to shine and do his thing, it doesn't ignore the fact that he's also part of a team and he's tied back there. Yeah, yeah. So I looked up where Tiger Tiger appears next. Do you want to know? Sure, yeah, lay it on me. A whole bunch of Wolverine solo stuff beginning with issue four. Okay, so pretty pretty quick out of the gate. All right. Yeah. Um, her next 10 appearances are all in the Wolverine solo series from now to 1990. So I feel like, because uh, Wolverine won't pop back into this comic until issue 16. And I don't remember if it's the same. I don't think it's the same team. So I feel like this was kind of a... Uh, and part of the reason why I decided to do this whole story first instead of breaking it up or doing it parallel is I kind of feel like this makes a great opening chapter to the Wolverine series. Mm-hmm. 
and actually, as as shitty as the little four-page preview was in, in Marvel Age, this is actually a really good preview for what we can expect from the Wolverine solo series. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This sets up Madripoor, it puts things in motion, it makes things work for Wolverine as a solo outing. Because Claremont didn't really want to do Wolverine solo work, from what I've understood from other podcasts. Really? Um, I should probably... I should probably credit the information I got from uh, Jay and Miles explaining the X-Men because he was afraid that Wolverine, like you have to, if you're going to have a character in a solo series, they have to be given an arc. They have to be given a direction. They have to be given like supporting cast and stuff. Um, otherwise you run the risk of just a whole bunch of pointless stories and oversaturation. And a lot of things actually did end up coming to pass for Wolverine. <laughs> right. But at least these starting out, Claremont is doing well with the character. Now, you mentioned that Wolverine doesn't come back into the series until issue 16. Um, I show that he's not the headliner again until, like, 39. Yeah, no, I think 16 is a backup because after that, it, I don't. you're probably right. I remember it sometime in the 30s where he has another, like, big story. Because the 16 is yeah. a one and done. So, But from 39 on, this is the Wolverine book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 realize where their bread is buttered and um they they quickly adjust the series in that direction. But I'm looking forward to some of these other things that are going on in this series because we have Cyclops getting a solo outing and Havoc gets a solo outing. Yeah. And Excalibur gets a story with uh the different members of that each getting a solo chapter. I'm looking forward to those stories. Yeah, me too. And Excalibur is something I'm looking forward to dipping my toes in because I've never read it. Oh, so, it has been so much fun. I've read like four issues now, and it is delightful. Oh, good. Good, good. I did read, like I said, the entire UK Captain Britain run <laughs> because okay. of the way my brain works, knowing that he was going to be right. a big player in Excalibur. I was like, well, I'll just read everything he did before that. <laughs> and is it, is that it was necessary? Because Claremont takes a lot of those elements from that series and brings them into the world of the X-Men. Okay. And it's would you, would you say it's necessary reading to enjoy Excalibur or not necessary, but, but um, highly enjoyable. Okay, cool. And um, the, the really important stuff is the stuff by Alan Davis. And if you don't want to track down the trades for that, there are two episodes from JN miles where they walk through the storylines, Okay, but it, it really is fun stuff to read. And I think it's collected in a couple of trades. Awesome. That sounds like fun. Oh, definitely, because I need to do that pretty soon because I got Inferno coming up before too long. So, Inferno, yes. Yeah. That'll be another blockbuster episode. Speaking of blockbusters, we're <laughs> unedited. We're going on two and a half hours. So uh, why don't we go ahead and wrap up? John, thank you very much for coming on again. Really enjoyed it, and I enjoy all your shows. So why don't you tell us about your, your new website and the shows you got going on? Well, I'm in the process of reviving a lot of my old projects. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with the New 52 Adventures of Superman, even though they're not using the New 52 brand anymore. I'm using that as a platform to talk about new Superman comics. So every Wednesday night, Thursday morning-ish, I drop an episode that talks about the Superman comics of that day, just my first impressions um, and thoughts after having read the issue. Uh, those are usually short and sweet. Then every other week, 
Um, I have a what I call a road to rebirth where I'm looking at some of the storylines that led directly through Superman's life to the rebirth, you know, the events right, right before rebirth with last days of Superman and everything. Those drop every couple of weeks. Those are all part of the new 52 adventures of Superman. Um, I have some other plans to revise some other shows, including amazing Spider-Man classics. So I do have a single website that I'm going to start using. I'm still in the process of getting it set up, uh, but it exists. It's just not very populated right now called John reads comics.com. No H. And you can go there to sort of, there's going to be a feed eventually that will have like all of the stuff that I do in one place. If that is something that appeals to listeners after they sample some of my stuff. So, but yeah, I'd kind of like to get all of my various projects in sort of a cycle where even if one particular show doesn't have an episode coming out super frequently, all of my shows are getting attention on a regular basis. And that's kind of what I'm working toward after I revive uh, Spider Classics. Sounds good. And of course, you're still doing the giant size Superman as well, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Giant Superman comes out at the end of every month. A giant episode talking about one of the Silver Age super-sized giant Superman annuals. I do that with Bob Fisher, a really good friend of mine, who was reading those stories when they were new. So he has a couple of years on me. (laughs) Um, But we have a great time looking at Superman stories from the Silver Age because that is a great era for the character. And that is a giant size episode once a month at the end of every month. Yep, And that's a good show, too. That's one of those shows. You know, it's there's kind of two ways to listen to comics podcasts that I've found. You know, one is where you're kind of reading along and you're just kind of getting different opinions or whatever, and almost like you're having a conversation with your friends about the books just listening to the show. And that's what I do with a lot of your shows. The Giant side, or the Giant Superman one is one that, it's kind of the other way you can listen to comics podcasts, which is stuff you're interested in, but either haven't read or can't find or can't get a hold of or whatever, and you can actually kind of glean the essence of the story from the podcast. And so that's kind of what I do when I listen to that one, because I've never read any of that stuff, and... You know, don't really have time in my reading schedule to squeeze that in, but I still want to kind of know about it, and so that's why I really enjoyed that episode. And it's it's, it's a show that's that's interesting enough and good enough that you don't have to read it to be entertained. So well, good. I'm glad I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, Silver Age books are hard to come by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Even those annuals can be a bit of a, a bit pricey on uh on on eBay and such. So right. But yeah, we're there. We geek out about it every month, and um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me on here. This is this is a blast. Talks of Wolverine. I I felt like I knew more what I was talking about this time since I wasn't <laughs> just diving into a story out of out, I had like all the the chronology and continuity in my hand. Right. So we will try to find um, another time to get you on fairly soonish, and uh, if nothing else, at least the next time we we pop up in MCP. So uh, yeah. Of course, you have John Reads Comics, the website. That's also your Twitter handle, so people yes. can find you there. Uh, for the podcast that goes snicked, um, like the Facebook page, Twitter is at snickcast. Email is snickcast at yahoo.com. And show notes and stuff are snickcast.podbean.com. Next up uh, will be the aforementioned Genosha story. And then after that will be Wolverine number one. So some pretty exciting stuff coming up in the flashback episodes. And I hope you're looking forward to that as much as I am. So uh, one last time, thank you, John, and everybody else. Until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye. And snacked. Snacked.